Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. And what you're getting today is maybe one of the first, the handful of actually low-key episodes. Yeah. We're knocking back some eggnog, sitting by a virtual campfire. Excuse me, Yule Log. Campfire? Thinking of Baldur's Gate. And there's a, <laughs> there's a lizard around me. There's a, a gecko in a tank. Yeah. To my east. Actively shedding. Actively shedding, which is symbolic of a new year. That's true. <laughs> yeah. You know, Z- not yeah, back some nog and malts is what I say. Yeah. Z- Zuko's prepped for 24. Yeah. Zuko is the name of Brendan's gecko. Zuko's got that new skin on. Uh, this is kind of a weird timed episode because you're, you'll be listening to this a week before game of the year. Very exciting. Yes. We have already recorded Game of the Year. We recorded last night. Yeah. It was an all-day event. We had a lot of fun. AJ was with us. AJ joined us with their top 10, which was always a rare treat. AJ brought this eggnog we're drinking. AJ brought this eggnog. Thank you, AJ. Um, so we won't obviously spoil that, but I think it was a really fun thing. And I think we're riding that high. Like, there, There's always that period of like once we make a big episode, we're just like, <sighs> yeah like a few days after right yeah this this reminds me a little bit of the episode we recorded on my deck before dreamcast or before ds uh was that the one where we talked about three hopes a lot maybe yeah but you're right it's same energy but that was yeah. more of a summer vibe this yeah is definitely winter it's a winter energy yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. how do you how do you feel without saying anything really i guess but how did you feel about Godi? i loved it i yeah. think it was a really nice mix in terms of like just the the games that showed up i think it was a really fun mix of like the expected hits and some surprises Mm -hmm. um i think it was one of the more interesting conversations around what makes the show's top five yeah and it was nice i i think i'll say now that we announce a lot of new stuff on that episode yeah that were really like i think both me especially but both of us i think are are bad slash struggle with containing our excitement mm. so I'm, I'm also just really that that's all gonna be on the open yeah. soon yeah we've been working on some stuff for a long time that we've been waiting for Godi to announce uh which is very exciting so stay tuned for that i think a lot of people are gonna be very excited slash happy yeah just, just like us absolutely but i think it was a really fun recording it might be by a hair the longest one it's it's not sure yet though because it hasn't been edited yeah but I would guess it's at least as long as last year's, if not a little bit longer, which was, what, like five and a half hours? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. but it flew by, and, I, and I, I have enough confidence in our longer episodes that I'm sure it's going to be an enjoyable listen. Yeah, I, so. think, I think it'll be worth it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, just to reiterate, I do think that Aether Top 5 was fascinating. Yeah. Because I, I was walking into the recording yesterday expecting it to be one of the easier ones in a while. Yeah. And it became very clear as soon as we revealed our top tens that it was going to be excruciatingly difficult. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do think you're right. I think the conversation about like what the difference is between a personal list and like a, a show's list is, is really interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot cool. of fun. So I'm looking forward to sharing that. That will be coming out on the 27th, just a, as a reminder. A week from today. A week from today. I'm excited to work on the artwork as well. Um, now that I know which characters to pull from, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, it was up in the air for a little bit there. It was, yeah. I was like, how much of one game should I put here? <laughs> the answer is maybe not much. Maybe n- <laughs> not much. Maybe none. <laughs> maybe maybe none. It's my drawing. I can do what I want. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> just mines and flags. Yeah. 
<laughs> Leave Minesweeper out of this. I don't, enough. I don't know why I've just decided to torment you with Minesweeper. I don't know when it began. But I've been every, hanging out like, with Dom too much, I yeah, think. <laughs> yeah, our friend Dom, who's co-host of Eye of the Duck and is a, a longtime close friend of mine, incredible friend like he's a genuinely nice person but he loves torturing me i think people like seeing me low stakes angry <laughs> you know people yeah. like when uh, i'm like about oh, something that clearly doesn't matter yeah because i think I, I i something clicks in my brain and i'm at my wittiest when i'm like a little pissed off and some people like bring that out of me because i otherwise apologize for like talking and they're like mm-hmm. no, no no give me that confident yeah like Give me that Aries energy. Yeah, not to put you on blast, you did just ask me if it was okay to charge your phone. (laughs) Case in point. Which I think is a pretty good example of this. (laughs) I didn't know if you needed an outlet. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's my house. I know where the other ones are. Speaking of astrology. Yes. Speaking of astrology. Yeah, we we decided after recording Godi yesterday, while we were just kind of winding down, we decided like we should play something kind of celebratory, something multiplayer specifically. So threw on uh, a game that I've been playing a bunch over the past couple of weeks. Um, and I, I'll just give a shout out to our friends, Alana and Brendan, who have both been on the show before, um, who have been playing a lot of Astral Ascent as like a couch co-op game, which is a platforming roguelike uh, that I have brought to the show before, but uh, really wanted to play a lot more multiplayer just to kind of like experience that side of it. And uh, they, they both have been playing it a lot and have been kind of telling me that I should experience that as well. So that's what we've put on kind of to wind down at the end of the day, which I think is great because this is a thing that I didn't bring up in the first episode, but I do think it has like maybe some of the best music of the year in oh, a video yeah. game. It's a great soundtrack. It's very relaxing. Yeah. And and specifically has the best title screen I've seen since Kingdom Hearts. It is, it is Kingdom Hearts-esque too. Yes. It, it has a little bit of the art style of like specifically the title, like the box art yeah. of Pyre. Mm. Like it has that kind of like painterly aesthetic to yeah. some of the colors, um, but yeah, it has that Kingdom Hearts like white background title and gentle music. Yeah, you in. it rocks. Um, so I've talked about this game a bunch, but I'm I'm more curious now. You you and AJ started a new save file and were playing together for a little bit, and then you and I played a little bit, and then you got it on your Switch and you played it. A little I nearly bit. bought it and played it myself. Yeah, solo. So I'm just I'm curious how you're feeling about it if you want to like do a little like from your perspective what is astral ascent also yeah i i really like this game i i really would love whatever power our show has to boost <laughs> this game's popularity i think it seems we're doing really well yeah but i would love it. everyone who knows it exists likes it a lot yes but i think it deserves to be in the same conversation as like dead cells and and other which is probably the most similar yeah i game, think so too even though you mentioned that this feels like the first roguelike clearly inspired by Hades, which mm-hmm. is also true. Yeah. It's got um, very different combat. Very different combat. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's incredible. I think the most noticeable thing right away is that it it feels perfect. Like it's one of the best feeling games in general I've played in a long time. Yeah. Um it it kind of has the the sort of side scrolling uh arcade sort of Sega E feel of mm. Dead Cells. But the animation almost reminds me of like a much more detailed version of like the original Prince of Persia. Like it oh, has yeah. that kind of like pixel art, but maybe actually did some motion capture. Yeah. In terms of how fluid the feeling of it is. Totally. Um the great pull. Yeah. And and the like so that's like what the gameplay art looks like. It kind of has that minimalist aesthetic. 
But then the character art is also incredible. Like it has more of this anime flashier style. Yeah. Um, it actually reminds me a lot of Avatar: The Last Airbender, mm. specifically in the opening cutscene, which is also amazing. You said it was. You said when we started, you're like, it's unfair. They have three incredible art styles. Yeah. It's like they they could have just picked any of those and run with it, and that would by itself be okay. But instead, they're like flexing me. Like, okay, we have this like kind of almost abstract, less detailed version of it when you're playing the game. Anytime two t- characters are talking to one another, you get this more detailed pixel art that is also beautiful. And then whenever they really want to like make a splash, it's fully animated. Yeah. It looks incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Battleship Brigade, which is a game I really enjoyed, but found the combat piece of it less engaging than maybe the cooking and the story. Yeah. Um, and I think in that game, like, it's beautiful. Like the animation, it's one of the best looking like 2D action games that I've played. Mm. But I think maybe it was smarter to do what this team did where like they went for a more minimal style for the core gameplay to kind of make sure it feels and and operates well and yeah. kind of invested in the flashier stuff for like the character portraits and the cutscenes. Yeah. Not that you can't do both, but I feel like that's a pretty huge undertaking. That's like a cuphead level. It's super difficult, right? I mean, uh, even looking at something like Hades, right, which this game is pulling from, in a lot of ways that I think aren't combat related, but I I think Hades is a great example of like, if you are confident enough in your ability to make the art work on that level, like, I, I think the hardest part of it is making it readable when it's moving that fast and doing so much, you know? I, I think Astral Ascent is interesting in, in that abstracting a lot of that art actually is the thing that makes it more readable. Yeah. They've done a really wonderful job, I think, of choosing, like, the exact colors and the exact kinds of animations that really just, like, signal everything the player is going to need to know on a moment-to-moment basis. I think, like, one of one of the best examples of this is just anytime an enemy attacks, there's, like, kind of a big red uh, area of effect that it shows that will tell you exactly where to not be when that enemy is about to attack which does it sounds a little bit like maybe that makes the game too easy to like see a very 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 clear telegraph of every single attack before it happens but there are usually so many enemies on screen or like if you're fighting a boss for example sometimes knowing where the attack is going to land does not help you because you don't have the maneuverability also, to yeah, get out of the way very quickly yes so it kind of just gives you like a millisecond to yeah. to deal with it yes um but it really just helps you inform like your next attack because the way the game operates is you have a basic attack you can jump and dash and then every character there are four playable characters i've only played as two so far but every character has like a signature ability And then you also have your spells and the way spells work is you have four. It's actually very uh, birth by sleep a little bit um, (laughs) where you have like a rotating spell list. So you do one spell and then it will auto equip the next one. Mm -hmm. Part of your builds will be like what that's I think the one of the steeper learning curves like getting used to like the order of spells and what works best for you. I think early on I found myself just kind of like not really fully knowing what was going to happen, but is hitting spell to see how it played out. Totally. But even doing that will inform you of like, oh, okay, like the starting character who's sort of this assassin type character, she has some spells that are like bombs she can drop that are directly below her. Yeah. And I learned pretty quickly. I'm like, those are cool, but I actually, in a moment's notice, would prefer a spell that is going to be useful in all directions. Yes. So now I kind of have a preference that will inform the build when I'm going forward. Right. Um, and that goes back to the, the broadcasted attacks. Seeing if an enemy is going to attack right in front of them 
that's the perfect cue to do a bomb attack mm-hmm. or to do my signature ability with with the assassin character what's her name again isla if you do her signature ability she teleports behind the enemy mm-hmm. and does a, like a, a assassin strike that's a really cool ability to specifically use when you're about to be hit. Yeah. It's almost like kind of a parry, but not really because you're going behind them. Right. There is a character uh, who is the second character you get who is basically right from Street Fighter. Yes. Who does have a parry, which is really Yeah, cool. his signature ability is straight up like the Super Smash Brothers Fire Emblem character. Like it, you kind of strike a pose and if somebody attacks you while you're doing that pose, you kind of do a counter attack. Yeah. Uh, which absolutely rocks. And it's worth noting also that at the beginning of every run you get to add a modifier onto your special ability. So it'll be like, okay, if you do a parry correctly, maybe it'll also light that enemy on fire or something. Um, and as you continue to progress through runs, every time you make it to the end of like a section, if you think of it like Hades, like every time you make it through like Elysium and you move on to the next section, um, there's, a, there's a totem that you go kind of like speak to that will upgrade either your signature ability or your basic attack. And you're kind of bouncing back and forth between the two of them. So there's like, so much customization on a run-to-run basis which i think is just kind of the lifeblood of any good roguelike in terms of like keeping you around and keeping you interested um and the other spot i think that this game really excels is like also having a narrative that's interesting enough you know yeah so you're getting like the best of both worlds it's a really interesting world like i think it's uh like it's centered around the the sort of 12 bosses are all the signs of the zodiac which like that was the thing that pulled me in initially I, I love that stuff um but yeah i think like other than that like i'm sure they're pulling from other mythologies and stuff too but it all feels really unique mm. like the idea is that there's this enemy who is imprisoning worlds and uh I, at least in the beginning ayla is trying to take out uh like a big bad and all the signs of the zodiac are defending them yeah so like every run is you trying to get through as many you know bosses as possible and each time you beat a boss you get to a new area um but then of course if you die you come back to the sort of hub world area which is this like beautiful like garden yeah i think it's technically a prison but like i feel like it's sort of all these different like refugees and characters from yeah. other worlds that's that's i think one of the most interesting things about the world building is is so technically isla's breaking into a prison but uh the the way the prisons work is like this kind of almost thanos-esque figure has just been conquering worlds and and encasing them in a prison yeah so what you're doing is like making your way through all of these different worlds that this that this enemy has has kind of encased but because like it's still the world that it was before it was encased in 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 this prison thing there are still people like trying to build communities there. So like your, your main hub is just like this kind of beautiful garden with a bunch of people from a bunch of different worlds who were like, we're just going to make the best of this, you know, cause yeah. it's pretty hard to fight back, but there are still people like trying to rise up against that force. And Yeah. And that's where you feel the Hades influence. Cause all of the different characters, like even the ones that are just there to help you level up, they all have very distinct personalities. Yeah. And, and I think, this game's definitely less dialogue heavy, which I think it works for the purposes of the game, especially because yeah. the runs are much longer yeah. than a run of Hades. They take a really long time. I did a stream where I had a run that was like almost two and a half hours, I think. Yeah. So I think at least early on, the plot is driven more by intrigue than by like actual narrative setup. Yeah. But that really works for me. And I think there's a lot, like I really like a lot of the characters that are in the home base. I really like the the like gardener character. Zim Zim. Is, this very enthusiastic woman who just like 
lets you invest in permanent upgrades and and she has this giant venus flytrap right behind her yeah which i just i think the character design overall is fantastic like i think everyone has very clear like the look of the character informs what their you know character is actually like yeah but it also adds again a ton of intrigue like yeah. everyone's just a little bit weird everyone's a little off yes yeah. so you're like i like this person but i don't fully trust them yet yeah which is i think the perfect way to introduce a character who upgrades your abilities <laughs> <laughs> but i think you mentioned how there's like a ton of customization i think that's kind of a blessing and a curse for this game because on one hand i think the biggest i would i would say the biggest like thing to get over when you're first learning this game is just how much is going on yeah i think hades is very smart to kind of streamline the upgrades where it's like you choose a weapon and you have your attack your special your dash and your shot and then you know you have a little bit more than that but that's kind of what you start with and they also limit what weapons you can use right away right and all the boons just kind of like amplify the tools you already have Mm. here i think it's it's a lot at once where you have like the four spells and then you can so you're also kind of doing a little deck builder with the four spells because you're like swapping out which spell you don't want anymore almost like a slay the spire thing which you compared it to yeah then you can also level up spells and you can also add mods to spells that make them do slightly different things yeah on top of leveling up the character and also choosing like different uh upgrades for your signature ability and your basic attack and like once you know what all that means, I think it works beautifully. Yes. Um, and again, I think this this I think this game is gonna be a slow burn, like overall. I think it's gonna stick around and, and people like I think the admiration for it is only gonna grow with time. Mm-hmm. But I can also see all of this stuff at the top of the game maybe overwhelming some newer players to the genre. Yeah. And people that are already kind of onboarded to roguelikes. I feel like at this point probably already have their one of choice. Mm. So I do think it's like a little bit of an uphill battle for this game to stand out, but I think they've done a great job kind of already beginning to do that. Like they, it's clearly going well for them, Yeah, but I haven't seen like a lot of major press cover this game, which I would love more of a spotlight on it. Cause I think it's, it's, I, I think it's just as good as Dead Cells, if not better. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Dead Cells is an interesting comparison because yeah. they're, they're kind of going after very similar things from a combat perspective, but yeah. they're, they're very different, I think, in like tone and gameplay and obviously in, in uh, art direction and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, Dead Cells is trying to be a Metroidvania in a lot of ways, and, and this game is very, very linear. This game is kind of doing a similar thing to Hades, where at the end of every single room that you're in, you get to choose between other rooms and you get to see what rewards you get at the end of those rooms. They also tell you how difficult those rooms are going to be. And the more difficult rooms you take on, the more of like the in-run currency you get, which will allow you to upgrade yourself more. So it's like, oh, I'm feeling brave this time around. My build is really good. I'm going to take on the more difficult room. That's going to reward you more down the line. But the rooms have like very, very, very different energy, whereas Dead Cells is more like, I'm just running around and trying to not die in all these places that I'm running to. I appreciate that Astral Ascent is like, I'm going to go to a room where a big fish is going to like offer me some weird, <laughs> some weird potions or like, I'm, I'm going to go into this room. That's like just kind of a little mini exploratory area. And I'm going to see if there's like secret chests or whatever around here or a room where it's just like, we're going to hit you with like four waves of enemies. Just try to not die, you know, totally. And being able to being able to make those decisions for yourself, I think is, is kind of the spice of life, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I, I like Astral Ascent a lot. There's a lot of stuff. So I, I think you're right to point out that the game is a little bit burdensome in the beginning, I think, with the amount of stuff that they're throwing at you. You and I were talking about this a little bit last night. I think it's one of those situations where, like, if you if you pick up what the game is putting down at all, you will play it enough 
where that will kind of become an afterthought eventually. Like it definitely is throwing a lot at you right at the top. But, you know, when you've played like four or five runs, that kind of becomes a backdrop to the new mechanics that they're adding. And there's a lot of stuff that you haven't even seen yet that I'm really trying to not spoil for you. I'm excited. That I'm really, I'm really stoked for you to find. I yeah. mean, cause there are little, like there's like one thing that I don't mind spoiling for you. Like I, I think four or five runs in, you'll start to get like, you'll start to get rooms that have really difficult kind of mini bosses that just pop up every once in a while, like in the middle of runs before you even hit a main boss. Um, and you can choose to defeat them or not. And if you do, you get like a ton of rewards, like things like that. They'll just start to kind of, layer throughout the game there are more collectibles that start to pop up the further in you get because the the way the game begins is you just kind of like do a basic tutorial you show up in the garden they introduce you to the person that you're supposed to talk to to like start the next run and every time you die for the first like five or six times whenever you come back to the garden they just ask you to meet one of the other people living in the garden and like tell you their whole vibe like this is the person who handles achievements this is the person who can change your you know your costume and the color of your hair and things like that this is the person that, you know, Zim Zim that you can talk to to like get basic upgrades. This is the person you talk to to unlock more spells, et cetera, et cetera. When you're done with all of that is when they like really just kind of say, we're going to hit you with a lot more stuff. We're going to start throwing a lot more collectibles. We're going to start throwing a lot more mechanics at you. Like once you have a basic understanding of what is like table stakes for Astral Ascent is I actually think when the game takes off to like another level and starts to present even more stuff and then all the stuff with the Zodiac, like I, I don't want to tell you how this plays out. But when you start the game, they ask you what your personal Zodiac sign is. And they just say in like some very like kind of tongue in cheek text. They're like, this will change your relationship with that person. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> there are a lot of things that could mean. Um, and I, I have a suspicion. And I, I don't know if this is true. I have a suspicion that how that will change is also reflective of which Zodiac sign it is. Like, I, I oh, have, wow. I, I don't know if this is true, but I, I have a sneaking suspicion that like, I, I don't mind saying this, but like when I met Gemini for the first time, Gemini is my personal Zodiac. When, yeah. I, when I met Gemini for the first time, they were like, we're going to kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, we know you're a Gemini and we hate that. And we're going to fuck you up. And they sure did. Like I died on that run at that point. I had the best build I'd ever had and it ended real quick. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what that means for the future. Like if I beat them enough, will that change at all? Will they just get harder and harder and harder? Like, are they upset with me for being a Gemini? I'm not really sure. Uh, but I can't wait to find out. Yeah, I cannot see Ares being cool about me being an Ares, uh, the god of war, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think the zodiac stuff is really fun, and like so far, I've only met Taurus, who is the first boss, no matter what. Yeah. After that, from what you told me, it's randomized. Yes. But um, Taurus is always the first boss, and uh, he's a really fun character. I. The one, my one, like, extremely annoying, unhelpful note <laughs> is that I don't get huge Taurus vibes from Taurus. Yeah. He strikes me much more as a Leo or a Sagittarius. He's a very showy, very attractive dude with a sword. Yeah. Very arrogant. He's got, like, an exposed six-pack. And Taurus, to me, has always struck me as someone who's, like, very deeply set in ritual mm. and, like, creature comforts. So in my opinion, I see, I would see it if I, if I were to design a Taurus boss, it would be like an ancient guardian, mm-hmm. kind of like of the earth in some way, like a, you know, a big ent or like a, yeah. kind of like a big knight, like with moss grown over them. Yeah. Or to someone who like loves bubble baths, you know, which <laughs> might be this guy, to be honest. Maybe he does. But yeah, I'm excited to see there. I mean, it's fun. Cause like you start off in a very like floral earthy place 
and he has this green glowing sword. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said about the ritual of a roguelike, so that True. could be the Taurus energy there, but I'm really excited to see how they interpret the rest of them. Yeah. There's a really fun sense of discovery in this game. I think something about Hades that's really fun is like Greek mythology is a known enough thing that it's always exciting to meet like, oh, it's Poseidon or like, yeah, oh my right. God, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's this character from Greek myth that's not even a god that they interpreted this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hades is pretty, like, they don't take too many liberties with the characters. They do just enough that they make them their own, but they're f- fairly faithful to the, to the original myths. Yeah. Um, I mean, and myths are meant to be retold and to tweak, so it makes sense. But in this game, because it's much more of an unknown world, like, the first time you just show up at this bar in the middle of the woods where there's, like, a giant deer in the background, there's a feeling of unknown and of awe really yeah. to this game that i think makes it exciting and also really propels you forward to want to see more of the game to do more runs yeah yeah and i th- I think like e- even just getting into the kind of nitty-gritty of some of this stuff i think the fact that they you know as you're playing other roguelikes or roguelites you know the the will the shop show up i'm i'm collecting all this currency and hopefully i can find a shop room at some point becomes kind of like a like a meta game that you're playing with yourself and i appreciate the consistency of knowing anytime i'm about to fight a boss i go to the like quote-unquote shop room right before that and i can like sit down they literally have a bench where you can like sit down and take a breather there's andromeda who runs the bar who like serves you a bunch of drinks which will level up your stats if you want there's like a shop that allows you to get new spells or whatever like if you haven't swapped out enough of your spells or you don't feel good about them like they they really do a very good job of making sure that you are prepared as you possibly can be for the boss that's coming up next and then whether you live or die is like really on you. You know, it's like yeah. the, the game gave you enough grace to like let you prepare and give you the time and space you needed. But at the end of the day, if you beat that boss is really going to be on your own skill level uh, more so than like, did you pick up the right stuff on the way there? Totally. And they do a good job as well. Like whenever you come back to that hub world, every character has like a new thing to say. It's not quite yeah. as in depth as Hades where like, yes. I think Hades is is more narrative focused in that way, or at least more character focused. Yeah, but there's still some fun stuff. Like Zim Zim will comment on Taurus after you fight him, and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, you do get to learn more about like what other planets or worlds these characters are from. Yeah, one one really of the cool. characters in the in the garden is specifically like a lore master who, when you talk to him, will just like tell you like you will unlock different pieces i don't know if you've made it this far yet but you'll unlock pieces of lore about each of the characters within the garden yeah and you can like learn all of their backstories also which is really interesting yeah um and that's that's i think the biggest difference between this and hades is like this this i think is more roguelike forward but allows people who want it to fall back on the narrative and the character work that's happening here and like that stuff is there it's not as in-depth as hades because it's not really the focus but it is there for the people who want it and vice versa i think hades well, Hades is kind of a best of all worlds. It's why it's, I think, probably one of the most perfect games either of us have ever played. Yeah. But like, <laughs> it gets all the combat right, and it has such a deep focus on narrative, and those two are so intertwined. Um, but I, I appreciate that this game being like by a much smaller team. You know, this is a Kickstarter game, uh, launching an early access and like toiling away on it until they felt good about it being a 1.0. This is the kind of game where like it feels to me like they understood their strengths and weaknesses and did as much as they could on all the aspects of it. Yeah, it, it feels very confident. And yeah. I think they really properly like focused on like going back to the art style being more minimal so those animations and the feeling of combat can be perfect. Yeah. I can't stress enough how good this game feels to play. Yeah. Like, and and they really focus too on just like every 
every choice and every aspect of the game feels good. Like even just running around the hub world and jumping around is fun. And even choosing your power ups like has like a a, a kick to it. Yeah. Like there are these like orbs where you can either pick it up. You can even salvage a power if you don't want it, but you want a currency, which I do by accident constantly because <laughs> it's it's you press R to get it and you hold R to salvage it. Yeah. Um. Once you get it, you know. But like. Man, did I salvage many good spells. Percy does that a lot, too. Yeah. yeah. I also think it's worth pointing out the co-op part of this. I think, like, yeah. that's almost enough of a change-up. Like, I, I think playing this two-player felt so distinct from other roguelites I've played. Mm-hmm. Um, it made it feel much more, like, arcade And it had, when we went up against the boss, it had that, like, TMNT, Shredder's Revenge, or, like, a golden axe feel to it where we're both like nervous yeah and we're like trying to make sense of an incomprehensible attack pattern yeah one of the most amazing things about the the co-op mode so it's couch co-op specifically i don't yeah. think there's online play just to be clear when you're in couch co-op if one of the people dies the other person can revive them and that can happen infinite times and when you hear that you're probably going to think like wow that's like very very lenient and it is not it, it is, is a trap too yes because you, you basically like it takes like at least four seconds to revive them yeah and that's just enough time for a boss or enemy to mess you up yeah and also like you kind of have to decide like do i just ignore my partner for now yeah but try to get in a few more hits or do i go for it so it feels very much like uh, like the real-time version of when you're playing any rpg and like one party member remains standing it's like do i use a phoenix down Mm -hmm. and risk like total party wipe next turn yeah or do i try to hold hold the line until i can properly heal right or are you gonna be stuck in the horrible horrible loop of just like reviving one after the other after the other (laughs) until you run out of all your healing items and then everybody dies yeah and you've wasted your whole your whole inventory yeah Yeah. the lady unalesca fight in final fantasy 10 (laughs) i've been there i think um i I think another thing worth noting about the co-op side of things is like where each person is playing as a different character and two characters unlocked right at the beginning of the game you have your kind of stealthy cosmic assassin as you were saying and then you also have the kind of street fighter guy and what you can do if you're playing single players play as each of those individually as well and each character that you can play as has completely unique dialogue they have a unique set of spells they have different ways of playing entirely i don't want to say too much about the two other unlockable characters and how they play but they're very distinct and very interesting comparatively as well um but they also have like totally different relationships with people in the garden and they have different relationships with the zodiacs and there's like completely unique voice dialogue depending on who you're playing as and if you're playing co-op or not also things will change as well um so it that's i think when i when i say that this game feels like the first real game taking inspiration from hades and running with it that's kind of what i'm talking about because yeah. i think one of the things about hades that you and i were so blown away by was like the game is so reactive it is, yeah. it is they have accounted for every single possibility of how a person is playing and in what order they accomplish things and which person they've decided to talk to in between runs or during runs, et cetera, et cetera. They really broadcast that with Hypnos commenting on how you died. Yes, yeah, you know exactly. Yeah. And and I think I think this game having you know despite being a very sm- even smaller than Hades, which is also an indie game to be clear. Yeah, but an even smaller team than 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 Supergiant. The fact that they were able to account for all of those possibilities and they wanted to like that you can tell that there's like behind the scenes at least on the development team there's a lot of enthusiasm behind the idea of getting unique voice dialogue for every possibility space that a player could find themselves standing in i think is really interesting and it's really exciting and i'm, I'm glad to see that kind of push 
despite it being like obviously a huge workload like that is that is a thing that i don't think every team should take on yeah but if you have a lot of enthusiasm behind it and and you feel confident in your ability to pull it off you get something like astral ascent which i i think rocks yeah i i love it this will probably be a game i chip away at like for the foreseeable future yeah um i'm really excited to get further in and see more of the mechanics blossom yeah because uh, i think like you're definitely more into roguelites than i am but like i do love having like the one that mm. i revisit like hades was that for a while yeah ftl was my first experience really having that mm. i think i and looking at both those games i think i do have that narrative need and this has just enough to keep me going on that front yeah um i also can't help but reflect on the conversation we had about lies of p when talking about this game because oh yeah which reflecting on that i think i was a little harsh on lies of p but i think you and i were commenting more on just the state of the genre yeah of souls like absolutely sort of like what is considered what are what are the elements that define that subgenre right ironically roguelike and roguelite are also a genre named after a game yeah but it's been so long that that's almost been forgotten and that genre has existed long enough that i think the elements that define the genre i think are more clearly defined yeah you know, like a roguelike and a roguelike are you start over right it's mm-hmm. run based you lose either all your progress or some progress and even just dialing that number differently right. can make a totally different game. That that's where you get into the like real nitty gritty specifics between like and light in that sure. case, right? Where like the, the idea of retaining any progress at all or being able to upgrade things from a run to run basis puts you in the light camp versus something like Spelunky, which is you know right. That, that's going to kick your and ass. I think it's worth analyzing those differences, but I also think you and I are definitely in the camp of thinking of genre as a guide and not as a box i yes you know and i but i think it yes. is like with this style, like roguelike versus roguelite for those who don't know the basic definition of that is a roguelite lets you keep some progress so like hades or astral ascent you are upgrading weapons and abilities and like even if you lose a run you're coming back to the hub world with some sense of progression in Hades, especially narratively, like it feels like the story is continuing no matter what. Uh, with in Rogue excuse me, Rogue Likes, usually you start over. So Spelunky is a great example of that. And I think some people have strong opinions on which is better. I think it really depends on what the game is going for. I think in the case of Hades and Astral Ascent, it would be way too frustrating to lose everything. Yeah. Because the game is actually motivating you with more and more options and kind of treating failure as part of life in a lot of ways whereas spelunky is asking the player to really learn the world and really like learn uh the possibilities and even though the character isn't getting anything in the game as the player you are getting better at the game as you continue totally um it's it's intrinsic versus extrinsic and extrinsic motivation which is essentially is the motivation you getting better as a player like in a fighting game which is you know a very direct example of that or are you getting items and abilities in the game Mm -hmm. um and again i think i i think neither is is objectively better i just think it depends on what the game is going for yeah it depends on the intention but going back to the to the sort of like inspiration discussion of a genre forming i think it's clear what astral ascent is pulling from you know, I think it, the Hades influence is there. The Dead Cells influence is there. I, I think, like, if you're making a roguelike at all, it's going to at least tip a hat to Spelunky 
you know, there's a lot of pieces there. But again, it's pulling from so many things and has such a unique setting that it doesn't feel derivative at all. Right. And I think that's that's the thing for me. I think this is a game I can point to and be like, there's a way to do there's a way to pass the baton and find a new voice along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's interesting to also talk about it in relation to Hades in that way. We're like, we're talking about this being an inspiration for Hades without talking about all of the billion things that Hades is taking exactly. inspiration from as well. Right. Yeah. Like this stuff is, I'm, I'm not going to say cyclical, but it is iterative. You yeah. Know, that, which, I mean, if it was cyclical, that would be pretty on brand for roguelikes. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but, but I, I, I do think the fact that, you know, this is an iterative process. And, and one of the things that we didn't really highlight in that Liza P discussion that is probably worth like really, really like stamping into the, into the letter uh head on this on this one is like i think we're just really early on in souls likes becoming yeah. a genre right yeah. and, and right now there are a lot of people stumbling and falling because they're playing too close to their inspiration instead of asking uh instead of asking like okay what elements really do aid the intention of the art i'm trying to make right that that's i think where we want to see this going and i think that's what we were commenting on in this case right i, th- I think jedi survivor is an interesting case where like they were able to take the Souls-like inspiration, but blend it with so much other stuff that it comes out the other end, having a pretty unique, yeah. you know, even though, you know, the, the real Souls-like thing there is there's a parry meter, like in Sekiro, there are very difficult bosses and enemies, every enemy can kick your ass, you're very focused on, like, parrying in general, um, and, you know, it's like, essentially sword and board combat, except you have a lightsaber instead of a sword and shield, but even then, it feels like something that would that would fit the world they're trying to create, you know, as, as somebody like Cal Kestis, who is the last Jedi, he is going to be very, very careful about not dying. Totally. Right. So every single encounter is like, I'm the last of my kind. And if I die, we're gone forever. And I think that fits a soul's like formula really, really well without pulling too much from it. Right. I mean, they're being very lenient about a lot of the stuff that a soul's like generally wouldn't be because they know they're playing to a larger audience than what FromSoft is playing to. Right. They're playing to the Star Wars crowd and not to the FromSoft crowd. Not that the FromSoft crowd hasn't played to a large audience. Shout out to Elden Ring. But for real. But I do think that that's a great example of what elements can you take from this genre that has become explosively popular and make it fit the intention of the design that you're trying to accomplish. Um, whereas something like Liza P is a little bit on the nose and, and, you know, maybe we will talk about that more <laughs> at some point. Uh, but I, I, I do think that that distinction is, is worth making is like, it's just so early. Yeah. And again, I think we, we, to varying degrees, but I think we both think Liza P is, is, a, is a successful game in many ways, mm-hmm. just to be clear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I think Astral Ascent to go back to our subject here uh, is a wonderful game. I would highly recommend it. I think it's definitely. I don't know if it should be. I, you might have mentioned this when you first brought it to the show. I don't know if it would be a like good entry point to a roguelike experience. Yeah. Um. But if you're already like a fan of Hades or you know on board in some other way, I think it's a really great addition. And I think that's. I, I think it feels like it's made fans of the genre already i don't think they were really worrying about bringing new fans on board this is interesting let's yeah. a little bit of a pivot yeah i mean i'll, I'll be straight up we're, the next game we're talking about is also a roguelite so uh it's, it's just worth mentioning we're gonna be talking about roguelites for a little bit <laughs> but you brought this up now and, I, and i'm curious what would you pick as like a good entry point for somebody who's never played a roguelike or a roguelite maybe one for each oh interesting um i think Hades is the obvious pick for me because mm. I just think Hades 
meets you at many different levels not to mention god mode making it a little bit more approachable yeah yeah for those of you who haven't played god mode is a is a little checkbox you can turn on in the settings that makes it so every time you die i think you become one percent more powerful yeah so you will die a lot but every time you die you'll become one percent more powerful than the last run so you will eventually beat the game if, yeah if you turn that on exactly it's so a nice way of allowing you to uh, still see all of the narrative in the order that the that the game wants you to see it. Exactly. I mean, I think Hades is one of the best games I've ever played. So there's sort of just a, like <laughs> you should play Hades in general. Yeah. But I think Hades does a good job communicating the appeal of the genre. It's also succeeding on other levels too. So like mm-hmm. you might be lured in just by the characters and and the mythology of it all, uh, and then you will be like, oh, I, I'm actually planning runs when I'm not playing it. Yes. I'm thinking about builds and stuff. I want to use the spear next. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like how I think three houses could get you into taxes. Ta- get you into taxes. <laughs> That's what I thought you were saying. Byleth <laughs> helped me with my 401k, and thank yeah. you so much. Big shout out to Claude and H&R Block. <laughs> three houses could get you into tactics mm-hmm. uh, because you might be lured in by the like Game of Thrones characters and yeah. know, all that, but then you're also planning builds when you're not playing it yeah uh, so i think hades is a good one weirdly enough even though it's like notably difficult i think into the breach is not a bad one either oh shit so I just think in, yeah into the breach is so clear in its communication of like what the enemy is going to do and what your options are and yeah. i think like I think readability is big in terms of how i see approachability mm. um just regarding like I think Astral Ascent, for example, they do broadcast the character attacks, but just like the rotating spell list, there's there's some things that require like a prior knowledge, whereas as hard as Into the Breach is, I don't think you need to know any other game to to play because they do such a good job explaining the rules yeah. and the stakes of it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also like, it, it it's very, uh, it, it also scratches the itch of just like old school PC games, like this is the look of it. And the drama of losing a pilot is like, for for the for the masochistic crowd, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Oh, I will never forget the first pilot I lost in that game. Yeah, it's brutal. Oh my god. I think for me, I, I think Hades is a great pull. That's yeah. that's a game that that appeal. I mean, I I would just tell anyone to play Hades if they haven't. I think it has broad appeal, and I think it does work for a lot of people as a first roguelite or like in that way. I think a, another one, if you're like. Maybe I maybe I want even something before Hades just to like get my feet wet so I can enjoy Hades to its fullest when I get there and understand how it's like pushing the genre also. Um I think I would start weirdly with Rogue Legacy. I think Rogue mm. Legacy is I mean, that's a game I have played and beaten many, many times. Specifically the first one, not the second one. Um not the second one is bad, but you should play the first one before the second one is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um I think it's just a really clean game. And it and it's it's very generous in terms of its upgrade structure and it's run to run upgrade structure allowing you to uh just like permanently upgrade a bunch of stats but they also permanently allow you to unlock more choices on a run to run basis which is really fun if you haven't played rogue legacy every every time you the the conceit is uh that there's like a lineage of people trying to kill a dark lord so every time you die you play as that person's like kid um and all of those kids have different classes and different like weird abilities or like issues so it'll be like this person like they they, uh they see the whole world upside down you have to play the whole game upside down things like that 
um, which is really wild. Or like this person's great at finding money. So like, oh, okay, cool. I'll find a bunch of money and I'll use that to spend that on more permanent upgrades. Like you can you can have different uh, different ways of approaching a run. You can say like, this is going to be a run from just getting resources for future runs where you can say, I'm really trying to make it to the end here. Or I just really want to beat this one boss to get this one thing. Um, I think Rogue Legacy is like, just a really easy game to fall into the loop of. Also, I mean, it's very Metroidvania-y, very Castlevania-y specifically. Um, I feel like weirdly every time we played a Castlevania game over the years for the show, I'm comparing it specifically to Rogue Legacy instead of like just playing Castlevania. <laughs> it's like, well, it doesn't feel as good as Rogue Legacy, so why don't I just play that again? Whoops. Um, but I think I think that's a really good pick. And then for roguelikes, I think, I mean, you got to play Spelunky. Yeah, Splunky's formative. Like, what if Mario wanted to kill you? And by you, I, I mean like you, not <laughs> not Mario. You, uh, worth it. Great, great experience. Yeah, I think if you play Splunky, that will kind of unlock any other rogue. Like, the only thing going into Splunky to know is like it starts off brutal. Yeah. Like, it really you just have to be prepared for it to have that kind of souls entry point. Mm-hmm. Um. But otherwise, like you'll be set. Everything else will be a breeze, honestly. Yeah. Um. But yeah, those are all good recommendations. I think. Yeah. Anyway, Astral Ascent, good video game. You and I are playing it on the Nintendo Switch. Yes. It's worth noting it does run really well on the Nintendo Switch, uh, even in co-op. So I, that was actually a concern for me. I was like, do I recommend it on other platforms? But now having played a bunch of co-op on the Switch, like it's great there. It's also stunning on the OLED. It looks oh, yeah. really it looks good. ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. I was hip- hypnotized by the opening cutscene. Yeah. Uh. So that's Astral Ascent. Let's take a break, come back, talk about another roguelite. I can't believe it. That's inspired by Hades. <laughs> Some mythology going on. Yeah. Wow. All right. All right. Well, see you later. Bye-bye. I got to ask Hilda to help me with my taxes. Draining. Stinky. Draining dish, dish water. <laughs> Ew. This is the dishwater special. Welcome to the Into the Aether dishwater special. <laughs> I can't wait to be clean. Can't wait to be clean. Hey, soaps suds no thank you get it off me you should be rinsed you should be clean (laughs) you should be dried via the heat of a very small metal box in a kitchen we're back hey hello how's it going (laughs) oh you know pretty good we went to a diner this morning that was nice that was really fun yeah there's a diner near me that i like a lot it's like a really little place been around since the 50s like family owned yeah they've got like i don't know 10 tables total. I got eggs benedict with locks. Wow. It was really good. Yeah, was it good? I it didn't was even amazing. Ask yeah. If I seem a bit distracted, it's because I'm trying to think of a Three Houses character whose name begins with R. So Why? I can make H&R block. <laughs> Hilda and... There's no one, I don't think. Is there uh, Raphael? Hilda and Raphael. Oh my god. I would trust both of them with my taxes yeah. so much. Well... Well... I would trust them with a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know about my taxes. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll this whole deal. She doesn't want to work. Yeah, and Raphael wants to eat. Yeah, so I do think Hilda would be very good at finding uh, what what is it called when when you get a deductibles? Yes, Hil- <laughs> Hil- Hilda would be the deductible queen. I just can hear in my head Raphael going like, "It's not looking good, Steve." <laughs> and you're like, "Please don't call me Steve." Yeah. <laughs> Please, I'm how, sorry. How many times have I told you this, Ralph? Ralph. 
Anyway. And then he gets it. <laughs> as soon as you call him, Ralphie understands. We've been talking so much about January games. I should probably just play Three Houses again, shouldn't I? Yeah, why not? When why was the last time you did it? I had to finish my maddening run. Oh, there you go. I'm very close to the end. Is that why Is that why you haven't played it in a while? Because the, the looming threat of the maddening run is too much? What's weird is I, I feel like I've gotten... A, the the difficulty in, in maddening, which is the most difficult mode of Three Houses, which is like... The jump from hard to maddening is unbelievable. It's weirdly the most difficult early on. So like I actually I've streamed a bunch of it. It's a lot, a lot of it's on our YouTube if you if you're curious. One of the longest matches was the first scrimmage. Cuz so you just have nothing yeah. and the and the AI and the enemies are so strong. Yeah. Um I somehow did it, but once you get like I I had finished, I think the last time I streamed I had finished the reunion battle in part 2. Mm. And once you're done with that, it kind of becomes normal again so it's more just like i had to move on to other games but yeah i do want to see it through one day mm, anyway i'm excited to discuss the next game we have planned for today yeah yeah very much in line with astral ascent and our whole conversation from the last segment um I, I really want to talk about god of war ragnarok valhalla or god of war colon ragnarok hyphen valhalla yeah, i don't know the stylization yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on and 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 the o's got the dots on it like the yeah. email out dots there's a lot going on uh, you love to see it. Um, this was a free piece of DLC that was announced during Jeff Keighley Presents the Game Awards 2023 for God of War Ragnarok. So anyone who uh, has that game, you can go download this right now and play it. It is a story continuation of what happens in God of War Ragnarok. Uh, don't worry, I will not spoil what is happening uh, at the end of God of War Ragnarok for those of you who haven't played it. Um, but it is a story continuation of that game, picking up just about exactly where it leaves off. It is also simultaneously a roguelite, um, which I think is very interesting. You and I have talked in the past about wanting to see more development teams take roguelites on, or at least take more inspiration from the genre. Yeah. To see more AAA attempts at that, I think would be very interesting. And seeing what like the full scope of a budget, the size of a PlayStation Studios studio um, could, could throw into that. I, I think there's... You know, a, a lot of obviously incredible work being done by indie teams with that genre. But there's a weird piece of me before we even talk about, I think, Valhalla and, and, and how it exists currently. There's a weird piece of me that in my most like capitalistic, <laughs> like cursed reflection of myself possible, thinks that the roguelike genre and the roguelike genre is closer to what freakish executives at the tops of all of these companies actually want when they say they want a live service game like i I just keep thinking about all these companies that are trying to be Fortnite again and just like patently failing i think actually playstation studios is a great example as far as we know they greenlit 11 and have canceled maybe six of those 11 so far including most recently last of us factions which was supposed to be like live service forever version of the last of us yeah which naughty dog released a statement and they were like we decided that um devoting our entire studio's resources to just adding shit to loot boxes is not what our future should be yeah i think they made the right call yeah to be clear yeah yeah um so that having been said i I, i'm always wondering like i think if you want people to be engaging with your game forever then why don't you build that into the game design sure you know and, and and build that into like just make sure that the, the game is mechanically so fun and like it, it doesn't need to be procedural always, but like make sure that it's mechanically so fun and, and a little bit arcadey. I think another great example of this, weirdly, is Resident Evil 4 Remake. Of course, yeah. It's like a great AAA recent example. I mean, of course, it's a remake, but 
it's a great example of a game that like really propels you and compels you to play it multiple times over and over and over again. Like yeah. it doesn't need to be a roguelite, but I just think the idea of replayability has been contorted into like endlessness. Sure. Yeah. Know? Right. Um, in, in a way that has just been like so laden with microtransactions and stuff that they, I think have like lost sight of what they actually want out of it, which is people saying like the game that I play is this one, you know, it doesn't always need to be the thing that they're pumping money into and hoping to get an ROI on that, you know? So God of War Ragnarok Valhalla is a really interesting case where this came out. It is free to be clear. It is not a live service. It's not going to be updated forever. Um, but it is a free piece of DLC that does, if you want to, allow you to play God of War Ragnarok forever. If you're a person who played that game or the first game and you're like, my favorite part of God of War, despite the great narrative highs, is actually the combat. I think the combat's really interesting. Boy, are you getting that like it, yeah. in spades with this. So just a little bit of setup. And, and um, this isn't, just to be clear, this isn't spoiler heavy. I won't, I won't say a whole lot about what's going on, but um, Kratos and Mimir show up. Uh, having received an invitation to a strange island they show up on that island get sucked into a magical door um and that door seems to be strange uh contorted versions of kratos's memories that he needs to fight his way through every time he dies while fighting his way through those memories he wakes up on the beach again and has to try again and make his way through again i'm i'm of two minds about the narrative side of this because on one hand this is in my opinion like really straight up a love letter to hades and this is, I think, actually where you and I would bristle a little bit normally because it is so one-to-one with what Hades is trying to do. Like, it, yeah. is, it is using death for the exact same reason. It is using the roguelike structure, I think, for the exact same reason that Hades is as well. Um, you know, there's, I, I think one of the things about Zagreus that I, I found interesting was, like, he purports to be trying to escape Hades, but what he's really trying to do is kind of, like, grapple with who he is as a person in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, and and his trying to find an identity outside of being the son of Hades is why he's rebelling in that way and is kind of being a little shit. And I think his his character arc over the course of that game is like fascinating. I don't want to say much more about it for, you know, obvious reasons. Kratos is almost coming at it from a similar angle where, you know, the whole first game really is a reflection of the original God of War series. It is it is him, I think, not even trying to grapple with what he's done in the past, but almost atoning for what he's done in the past. Like those games are notably hyper violent kratos in them is a bad dude doing bad things um but also despite being like the protagonist kind of anti-hero in a lot of ways he is forced to do things for good but in horrible ways yeah um and i don't want to say much more than that also because that will inadvertently spoil some of god of war 2018 and also ragnarok um but that's the arc of kratos in that first game you know is like he has this son atreus and the two of them are traveling around for reasons. Uh, and the, I, I think just in trying to raise a son to not be like him is also forcing him to reckon with his own past and just making sure that he can move on from what he's done. God of War Ragnarok Valhalla kind of posits that he's not fully over that. Like he, he I think, feels pretty good about what he's done for Atreus, but still doesn't feel good about what he's done in the past. There are still some lingering doubts he has in his head about like just you know i I have done these things and having done them does that make me a bad person forever um is kind of like the lingering question of valhalla so 
it is it is Kratos working through that stuff, and it is Kratos like facing off against things from the original PS2 God of War and PS3 and I guess PSP God of War games. Um, there are characters from those games who show up That's over awesome. the course of Valhalla. There are scenes and ideas that come up um, that are again like kind of contorted memories of Kratos's that pop up. Um, there are characters from Ragnarok who pop up in like new and interesting ways um, because again these are all of like the things that Kratos has experienced. Um, on top of all of that, it is an exemplary roguelite. Like, yeah. it, like from a combat perspective, like the combat of of God of War 2018 and Ragnarok is, in my opinion, the best part of both of those games. Like, I I just think they nailed the game feel. They so really well. did. I mean, even just the calling back the axe is like one of the most iconic yeah mechanics of of the past ten years. Yes, it's ama- It's amazing. And yeah. It feels so good. Um, and again, at the risk of spoiling some stuff from those games, you do get more than just the axe over time over the course of those two games. And what I love about Valhalla is at the beginning of every run, there's a room that starts where it's like you you just have your weapons um, and you're presented with like one or two enemies, just like very weak. It's like, OK, kill these two enemies. And the first reward you get is essentially an upgrade, like a perk upgrade for one of the weapons that you have equipped. And depending on which of those you pick, that will influence the rest of the run. So if you're like, I want to I want to pick this perk that upgrades my axe in this very specific way. Maybe every time you throw the axe and it like hits somebody directly in the head, it explodes their face with ice or something and freezes them in place. Cool. Great first upgrade. But what that means is that every subsequent upgrade you'll get for the rest of the run is going to be axe focused. So you can kind of choose very much like in Hades where you could go into that room and say, "Okay, what weapon am I going to do this run with?" The game is actually not even presenting you with the option as much as it is being like here are some upgrades. Some of them will be better than others. Sometimes the axe upgrade will be the worst of the three. And you might say, I want to do the axe anyway, because I feel the most comfortable with it. But in some cases, it's so obviously the best one. It's like, well, I just did three axe runs in a row, but I guess I got to do it again. And I think that that little choice by itself is a really fun way of, of kind of imbuing Valhalla with what made Hades so fun and made it so variable on a run to run basis. On top of that, they've taken, you know, they, they do the Metroid thing where like at the beginning of, you know, his first appearance in Valhalla, he's stripped of all of his powers, all of the stuff you've, you've unlocked over the course of Ragnarok, um, with the exception of the weapons that you have. But what that means is that all of the skills and perks and all of the like relics and different pieces of armor and all of the different things you can slot into all of your, all of your places, all the ways you've upgraded yourself over the course of that game which you know is is notable for Ragnarok as a way of like making Kratos more powerful and making him able to face off against it's not a spoiler to say that Odin is the big bad in that game um you know being able to fight literally Odin the all-father you need to be extremely powerful um they strip all of that away but what that means is that all of the upgrades you find in chests uh, in the different rooms in your roguelite experience are those things which is like such a brilliant way of taking what already existed in the base game and kind of shuffling it around and making it feel rewarding again, but for different reasons. Yeah. Like I, I just, I just think this is such a, it's such a smart application of what made Ragnarok so good. And for my money, and I may, I don't even think this is hyperbolic. I mean, this is subjective. It's my opinion. I like this more than Ragnarok in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I'm amazed they released it for free and I'm amazed that it's as good as it is, but it is incredible. I think even some of the ways in which they've they've I think kind of 
leveled up their narrative chops are interesting because they know it's going to be dependent on if you live or die on a run-to-run basis is really interesting. Um, Some sequences that I've seen narratively, and I've streamed a lot of this, so you can see some of what I'm talking about if you want to watch those streams, but some of the narrative sequences where I think 2018 and Ragnarok were a little less sure of themselves, I think a little less confident than I wanted them to be, you know, needing to kind of over-explain some moments every once in a while. Um, Although those games have great cinematic chops and the writing is generally very good and the performances are obviously great, Valhalla is smart enough to not include dialogue when a facial expression can suffice. And they do that a lot more in this than they do in the previous two games. I think that really just like one ups the confidence. Yeah, I I remember that being specifically an issue with Ragnarok. Like, I think the first game felt much more confident. I mean, even just the opening scene being mostly shadow and expressions. Right. Uh, But Ragnarok, there was a lot there were a lot of scenes that were like, just in case you didn't get the subtext, one of the characters will say it out loud. Right. Yeah. And I think Ragnarok is a great game. I I think that like this has inspired me to go back to it just in general because I haven't seen it through. And like I care enough about these characters that I would like to see the end of the story. Yeah. But um, that was the first time that I just felt like we've mentioned this before for Ragnarok. Ragnarok for us felt like the first time the sony formula started to hold the game back yeah um but this sounds like a really interesting i mean it sounds like they took a lot of notes from ragnarok's reception yeah and also i can't help but wonder if this is maybe testing the waters for a future project it being free dlc yeah i mean one of the first ps5 exclusives was returnal Mm. which was exactly what you've been saying that you want more of like a triple a roguelike or roguelite and i wonder if there's room for like Maybe in between, like, I'm, I'm sure there will be another God of War. Yeah. And I'm sure it's going to take eight years to develop. <laughs> but maybe between those, there's there's a full version of this roguelike test. Mm-hmm. Um, or another series entirely. I mean, I would love to see. And the thing about the both God of War games is that I think even within the games, you can tell they're really confident with the mechanics that, like, there are those little modes. Yeah. And what I love, what I really love about both games is how gamey they are despite being this cinematic very mostly taking itself seriously experience like they're not afraid to have enemies burst into power-ups and there's the kind of a (laughs) ps2-iness to it still that i love yeah is it the first game or the second game where you fight that big drag i think it's the first it's the first game you fight that big dragon and as soon as you like you do it's a very like ps2 god of war kind of fight where like the last piece of that combat is the dragon is like kind of hunched over the side of a cliff (laughs) at the top of a mountain and like Kratos is just beating the shit out of like just its face. Yeah. That's the only part you can really access. But you're saying as soon as you like, as soon as you kill that dragon, it just like essentially vomits a bunch of like items and health upgrades and like relics and all this stuff that are all like different, uh, colored glowing, pickups which is so funny or the fact that whenever you open a chest Kratos just punches the top of it yeah like he's you know this dad trying to atone but he's still the ps2 Kratos yeah. deep down yeah um, which is that's what Valhalla is about baby yeah, yeah. I, I really want to play this it sounds awesome yeah here's the thing like to be totally blunt I I do think you should finish Ragnarok I think it, I, yeah, I think it's I a great will. story I, I think the performances are amazing you could watch it on YouTube and you would probably have a similar I'm far enough in and I'm enjoying the game enough I just I think I had the misfortune of just finishing the first one 
and being blown away by it. Yeah. And Ragnarok, I think, has a lot of the trouble of a sequel. Like, I don't think it's... I think it's fantastic. They made it bigger in that creative pacing issues. Yeah, I just yeah. think the, the pacing of it and some of the writing fell flat for me. Yeah. And, of course, I think what caught everyone's attention was the, like, puzzle-solving dialogue, where, like, yeah. if you took longer than 20 seconds on a puzzle, Atreus would be like, maybe if you tried pushing it to the left, you, you know, yeah. it just it felt like there was a lack of trust in the player. Yeah. Um, but, I mean... The combat's amazing. I love the different locations you go to. Um, I'll definitely see it through. Maybe we'll yeah. maybe we can talk about that more because that was like I think we were like ramping up for a Ragnarok bonus. Yeah, and then we were both like, oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe we'll just chat about it one day. Yeah, even me. I think I think I of the two of us, I liked it. I think the most, and even then, like it didn't. I think it was in my top twenty, maybe from last year. Like, it's a hard it, act to follow. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. I still really love what this team is working on and yeah. the direction God of War has taken. Yeah. I think it's a really brilliant way. They could have just wiped the past clean. They could have been like, that was the Mountain Dew era. <laughs> We're going to just like tell a new story about Kratos. But the fact that they internalize that into the fiction and also still do what those... I mean, those those games, while slightly misguided in some of the portrayals of violence and, and misogyny, to be blunt. Yeah. There is value in those games, like the the influence they've had and and the sheer spectacle of two and three. Yeah, two specifically, I think that's like the one of the originals that I would recommend going back to. That's the Pandora's box one, right? Yeah, yeah. that one's actually I think fantastic. Yeah, it's ridiculous. that that would maybe be on the same level as the new ones. For if me. we ever do a PS2 bonus, I'd be excited. To yeah, play that game again. I would love that. I have played the first. Like I went back and played the first one before we did the God of War bonus. Yeah, it's so funny. It's it's very much like. Mortal Kombat in tone where like uh, you fight that Hydra in the beginning and there's like a sailor in the throat of the Hydra and Kratos goes in because he has some kind of trinket he needs <laughs> and the sailor is like thank you for saving me and Kratos is like I didn't come for you and yeah. he takes the necklace and pushes him down the throat I'm like <laughs> I do kind of love that like and it's so funny that like that was done because they thought it was cool and now yeah. they're so deeply embarrassed by it it's inspired the story of these two <laughs> games <laughs> it's like i joked yesterday that i'm like i feel like sam lake was in a creative writing class with the guy that was so annoying it inspired him to make a horror game <laughs> and now we have alan wake um but yeah i i definitely i will see through uh uh Ragnarok, and I'm sure we'll talk about it one day. Yeah, I, I, man, Richard Schiff's Odin, incredible. Oh, the Thor fight early on was breathtaking. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I can't believe it's making me want to play the game again. <laughs> they do, they did add new game plus, and I am a little bit curious about it because I, unlike the I, the first game, I did everything. Like, yeah, I, I unlocked yeah. every single thing there was to unlock in that game, and I, I do think that's like you said, a little bit of a byproduct of like having played a lot of these playstation studios games that kind of have like a, a very samey energy to them unfortunately um and at, at that point in 2018 it still felt fresh um but ragnarok i think just upping everything meant that there was so much to do that i was like i don't know i don't know if i have the pull to do it like i just wanted to see the story through and i think it stands in stark contrast with elden ring where like yeah. elden ring is this giant game that is very comfortable with you not seeing everything yeah and Ragnarok is terrified you won't see all of it. So yeah. they have to constantly tell you what's available. Yeah. Which, I think I think Elden different Ring games, but you know. Yeah. I do think Elden Ring makes the very smart choice of literally gating content from you. Like yeah. it, like you don't even realize you're making choices, but when you do it means you can't see other stuff. Yeah. Which does compel 
a player to go and check out New Game Plus and try it a different way the next time. Yeah, I highly recommend a similar point is made by uh, Mark Brown on Game Maker's Toolkit where he does his Boss Keys series. Yeah. And he has a video about like the pacing of Elden Ring and how like... Oh, I don't think I watched that. It's a really, it's really insightful. I don't fully agree with his take on, on the latter part of the game, but like he does point out how it's like early on very open then it kind of funnels into a point and yeah. then opens up again yeah um and uh. again i think he he points out like the confidence in like you you don't really have to see a lot of the game but i think and that's not necessarily a choice that benefits every game but i think for someone like elden ring it makes the world feel so much more mysterious that like you could theoretically beat it and still not see half of what was there yeah you know i think that's always a sign of good fantasy is when it feels like we're only getting a corner of it. Yeah. Um, that's what God of War does well in its best moments, especially in the first one, like that face in the mountain. Yeah. That's never really fully explained. Yeah. That's uh, like just kind of billowing the black cloud. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. I, I adore. Yeah. Um, like I think not explaining everything is sometimes the move. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I, th- I think that rocks. Um, I mean, we, we had a, oh, we didn't, we sh- should probably mention this, but we did a patron bonus about the boy and the heron recently. Yeah. The new Hayao Miyazaki movie. Um, I don't think we announced that on the last episode, but that's out now. You can go listen to it if you're a Patreon backer at uh, the $5 tier or above. Um, but that was one of our big points of praise for that movie as well. It was like the world existing is kind of the point. The mechanics of the world are, are less the point. Exactly. And, and, the ga- and the game. The movie is very, very, very confident in that they'll just, you know, have a character just spout out like rocks are angry right now. And like, that's it. And, and, Mahito like never never asks why and and the movie never explains why but it's just like a thing we all have to accept and I think God of War 2018 does that a lot Ragnarok not so much <laughs> yeah yeah I mean there's a there's a line um, Miyazaki has in that documentary that we always refer to Kingdom of Dreams and Madness if there was a ITA bingo card it's us bringing up that documentary <laughs> um, and me saying microcosmic uh, which I've learned I say quite a bit um, I haven't even noticed that yeah uh, but regardless um you listen to yourself enough, you you see all the quirks. Yeah, there's a line in that documentary where someone asks him about the end of Kiki, where two characters talk to each other for the first time, mm. um, and we don't know what they say to each other. Mm. So the person asks Miyazaki, like, "What did they say?" And he's yeah. like, "Does it matter? Yeah. Like, they're together again. Like, whatever they say is something only they know." Mm. And you know, and of course, like then it turns into like we don't know anything about art. Who could even ask those questions? Like, are we <laughs> worthy of the meaning? Right. Um. But he's totally onto something with that. Where like it would be so much cheesier if they said like "I love you" or like yeah. "We're back together." Right. Or, like just getting this visual recognition that they are back in each other's lives, and and getting a sound is more meaningful than getting an actual word. Right. Yeah. That's God of War Ragnarok. That's God of War Valhalla. Valhalla. Ragnarok Valhalla. Uh, it's, hey, it's great, and it's free. I can't believe it's free. That's really cool, honestly. But that yeah. also makes me think, like, is this a test again? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, w- I mean, as much as I would love to see Sony Santa Monica do a larger scale version of this, I don't know. I think, uh, I think it's, it's a good way of holding people over for the five years it's going to take for God of War 3 to come out. <laughs> that might be the main reason. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, I, I think just making a thing that is purportedly endless will not, do that. Not to mention that, I mean, we were talking yesterday, I mean, when we wrapped up Goaty, we usually have a little section about, like, what we're looking forward to for next year. Yeah. And it is pretty bleak. Like, 
I mean, you know, there are a lot of games we're excited about. Like, I think Final Fantasy VII Rebirth will obviously be huge for PlayStation. Yeah. It will be a timed exclusive. But outside of that, I don't really know, like, especially now that The Last of Us multiplayer has been canceled. Yeah. It doesn't seem like we really know what's next for Sony or really even for Nintendo or Xbox. Nintendo, we have a pretty good idea. Xbox, not not at all. Nintendo also, I think, is... I'll, I'm sure I'll eat these words, but I would wager if there's any year we're going to hear about the next piece of hardware, it is 2024. Yeah, I saw Steven Totillo, uh on on Threads, who I think has a I think he left Axios and has his own Substack now. But anyway, I saw him report recently that the Nintendo Switch saw its first ever decline in sales. Yeah, which to me is the clearest sign ever that Nintendo is going to release a new Switch. Yeah, and I think with their games and possibly even with their hardware, they usually wait right until it's ready yeah you know like we We know about game releases for nintendo for their first party stuff through march yeah which which i think is either a good time to start spinning up that hype cycle or releasing a couple like last swan song games before releasing the 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 new yeah i think i think tears of the kingdom is actually kind of an outlier for nintendo that we would like know about a game for that long yeah um, but it's also Zelda. Like they don't really need to say anything other than it's in development, it exists. which is what they said for years. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, we we didn't. From what I remember, we didn't even really get a full trailer of gameplay until for like years, pretty close to release. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, to your point, like both PlayStation Studios and Xbox Game Studios are kind of in this like weird no man's land where we're not really sure what's happening. Yeah. You know, and I, I I'm very curious to see where they both land. I mean, there there are rumors abound that both companies are going to release like mid-cycle versions of their hardware also soon which is like wild to think about the fact that that's a possibility because I, yeah. I still feel like i don't understand why this generation exists yeah and it's like game development the average game development for a triple a game is now about the same length as what used to be the console breaks right so it's like you can't make a new system and have like 10 games come out for or less yeah one of which is a demo like <laughs> it like i i don't really like i would love to move away from exclusivity in general mm. i understand that probably won't happen but yeah. like i don't rank a console by its exclusives but like if that's if, your business model you should make it work if yeah. it's your business model that you have to buy the new box to play the new games and there's like eight one of which is bug snacks and and a free demo no shit on bug snacks but like it's not a system seller, you know, like it just really up until this year. I mean, we, we do have stuff now like Final Fantasy 16 and God of War. But again, I'm pretty sure God of War was also on PS4. I was about to say, yeah, that was that was, I think, the last dual uh, generation Sony exclusive. Yeah. So it just feels more like a hardware upgrade, which I'm not against that being the new model of like, OK, like these games will work on all the consoles, but you know, you might need a higher end one eventually. Yeah. But then move away from the new box model, you know, which is, I mean, to Xbox's credit, that's what they're doing. Exactly. But but they're also purporting that their business strategy is you're going to get one new huge game pass release every quarter. And the past two of those have not done super well critically. Yeah. You have, I think Redfall and Starfield being these two like huge examples of games that were super, super, super hyped up that didn't really like meet expectations. I th- I think as we've talked about Starfield like commercially did very well, but the lasting impact it's had clearly has not performed to the standards of what we consider to be like Bethesda's mainline stuff. 
especially considering they wanted that to be their third pillar alongside. Yeah, and I think like I I think you know we clown on the game awards, but the fact that that was so underrepresented there, I think, is pretty damning. Except for an ad. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't even a trailer for Starfield or DLC or anything. It was literally an ad that was like, you can still play Starfield. Did you know that? I remember you were like, who said these quotes? Because they would just say like great in quotes. Oh my with god, like yeah. No there was, yes, there was one that was like fun. <laughs> and the quote was probably like, I didn't have fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That was pretty brutal. And we look, both enjoyed Starfield to an extent. I yes. mean you more than me. I'm yeah, I I think I'm maybe one of the kindest to Starfield. But I think it's it, I think it's fair to say it was not the next pillar. And we don't, you know? and we don't, and, and sorry, just to, to get back to that point about, about like, okay, yes. if Sony says their strategy is you have to buy the new box and player exclusives and there aren't enough exclusives to make that worth it for players, Xbox saying you don't have to buy the new box, you can play our games on whatever you want because they're all streaming via cloud, cloud gaming through Game Pass. And we're going to have one new Game Pass game every quarter, but those games aren't worth playing to a lot of people. Then you're also not making good on your own strategy right and like we don't know what the next game is for the next quarter or the one after that so like why would people say subscribe to game pass yeah you know i i i think nintendo's kind of a sure thing because they're off playing their own weird yeah. game um they're gonna be fine probably uh but I, I i do i do worry about those two strategies like not making good and i think you and i are generally much kinder to xbox and to playstation in a lot of ways because at least like Xbox is saying, hey, you can pay us like a subscription fee and you'll get access to all of these games. Whereas Sony is like, no, 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 our stuff's going to get more and more expensive <laughs> every 15 minutes. Um, yeah. But still, I mean, at, at the point that I'm at now, it's like, all right, now or never, Xbox, like you got you got to shape it up. I think it's telling that when I go to the Xbox, it's to play old games and indie games, you know, which is, I mean, that's my soul. Like, yeah. like That's what I want to play most of the time. Yeah. But it's not what they're thinking of probably when they're telling people to subscribe to game pass yeah yeah you know and i i do i do want i mean i know this wasn't the sole motivator but there's a little piece of me that wonders if the purchasing of activision blizzard king uh was a little bit like okay our stuff isn't working and we know that people play this stuff so like let's just buy that yeah and throw 400 games on game pass all at once yeah yeah, I uh, I'm not sure. I mean, the annoying thing too is like I actually think the PS5 is like an incredible piece of hardware. Like the games I love I've them played, both. Yeah, yeah. Like when when there are games that come out that utilize it, even something like Street Fighter Six, which is not an exclusive. Yeah, that feels like oh my god, this is a game from the future. Yeah. Uh, even I, Astro's Playroom, which again is a demo, that blew me away. Yeah. I never expected any game to utilize the controller to that extent, but yeah. like I think seeing the potential of the hardware and how little it's fully utilized which again i think is not fair for most developers to do yeah but even amongst this the sony first party stuff like i haven't felt any game use it as much as astro's playroom yeah outside of maybe ratchet and clank yeah i think ratchet and clank is a really good example of that and i i think to its credit marvel spider-man 2 also sure the way they use the haptics for the swinging also it's like one of the only games i know of that is like we're gonna have this be 60 frames per second and have ray tracing and be in 4k it's like insomniac has dialed in the performance of the ps5 like so perfectly on that game yeah um but i i think like to their credit i love i love the ps5 and i love the xbox series s and now i'm playing on the x um i think they're as you said they're both great pieces of hardware like i really do like them a lot and i just wish i had a more compelling reason i think to jump into them more frequently to play new stuff but like right now the thing that i'm i'm thinking about is the game that i'm most blown away by like 
visually and in terms of feeling like the future is Fortnite still. <laughs> and and like to honestly to Epic's credit and with Unreal Engine 5, you know, that they've rolled yeah. out like stuff like that, like that game looks amazing now on that hardware. Yeah. Like that game looks so good in 4K. It's really wild, but it's strange that like that's that's where I feel like I, I'm feeling the next generation, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And even then that stuff could have existed on the past one. I'm just saying I would buy a PS six if you brought themes back. Let my Butterfinger purchase mean something. I agree. Bring back the Firewatch theme. Yes. That was my theme and continued to be even post Butterfingers for very long. Yeah. Well. Wow. On that note. Yeah. To the want- future, baby. Yeah. Let's take another break. Let's take a break and maybe go for a walk. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. See you soon outside. See you soon. Clouds. Can't wait to touch grass. We're back. I, I'm also leaning back. Yeah, you look cool. I'm, re- I'm real reclined. You're aloof and confident. We didn't, we didn't say this. It's probably obvious, but we're in the same room still. <laughs> Point taken. I'll book my train later. We, uh, we, we got to record Godi in person, as we usually do, and, and you stayed an extra day so we could record this one in person, too. I think we just like recording in person. When I'm home, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'll be home until after New Year's. Yeah. Oh, in Jersey, I should say. It's nice, though. I mean, you said at the top of the episode, but I feel like the, the ones we do in person are the actually low-key episodes, yeah. which, is, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate the energy. When we're far apart, we, we reach out and scream. <laughs> we break Skype. Yeah. <laughs> Someone asked us, why do we, like, almost angrily, like, why do you still use Skype? Yeah, actually, somebody asked that also as an any percent prompt mm. for the Patreon. Explain why we use Skype. Yeah. It, we, we have wait, tried wait, other... Wait, wait, I'm going to start the timer. Okay, let's do it right now. Yeah, we'll do it right now. Okay, hey, if you're if you're uh, not back in the Patreon, here's a little example of what you get. <laughs> this is not an ad. This is just chaos. <laughs> All right, three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to Any Percent. It's the show where Steven and I have 10 minutes or less to answer, usually a video game-related prompt. Today, we are, uh, we're, we've been confronted with the question... Uh, why do we still use Skype to record? We're in person. We, Skype's not in the room with us, which is why we feel okay yeah, doing this. Yeah, there's no this. gun to our heads from <laughs> Skype Corp. Uh, so we started using, I mean, we started recording the show in 2018. Skype at that point was already a relic. Yes. I don't know why we started with Skype. That's the bigger mystery. But I think maybe because it's what I used to record my last show. Yeah. I had a show called No Script at All with uh, my friend Andrea, which was about Terrace House, the, the Netflix reality show. And we used Skype for that show. And that one started in 2015 or 2016, uh-huh. in which Skype was taking its last gasp of air, yeah. I think. So I think we, we, we started using Skype when it was like almost relevant. Yeah. And then... <laughs> <laughs> it just felt easy like why why fix wasn't what isn't broken yeah um and since then we have sometimes been like should we do something else we've tried zoom discord not something always goes wrong this is the thing yeah. is that to be clear we have tried other stuff yes discord i don't know what it is about discord neither of our computers will handle like they just like they cough like they're about to die if yeah. we use discord something something goes horribly wrong every time whether it's like the mic doesn't come through the audio doesn't work i feel like i'm a pretty techie person aj produces the show between the three of us we can't figure out what's wrong (laughs) i don't know i don't know what's going on over at discord corp yeah discord inc discord llc i don't know what you are uh i want to make sure you get your taxes right for hilda and ralph block (laughs) 
but uh yeah it, but it just I doesn't mean, work i do think that we'll probably have to change soon because the future of skype also looks pretty bleak it's amazing that during the pandemic and quarantine they did not capitalize on that yeah they just really let zoom eat their lunch exactly so i think we'll probably we've talked about we we have a like meetings every month between the three of us me brendan and aj where we talk about like plans and ideas for the show and and we will have to switch soon but skype just works skype just works it's just it's almost comforting to use a dated piece of technology that still does its job that's the thing that's uh, like to be perfectly blunt that really i think is the best distillation of it yeah it it just works yeah never had an issue with it not once exactly and zoom costs money (laughs) exactly well, and I think that's a wrap. We that, don't even have to go full time. We did it. We did it under three minutes. I I just want to be very clear. Any percent is generally way more interesting than that. <laughs> <laughs> that was an anti ad. <laughs> Except for maybe uh, I guess at the time of this recording, two weeks ago's episode was us just trying to name one hundred games. People loved that. People did. That love was it. one of the. Let like, me be clear. I loved it. I loved it too, but it was inherently silly. It was fun. Yeah, we did do it. Somebody counted. We we killed it. We did like 130 something. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe it. And yeah. we even we even set some extra rules to make it harder for ourselves. And also chatted in between. Yeah. If we if we just like went in to to seal the deal to, yeah. to gain victory, I think we could have done even better. That's maybe an idea for a future one. <laughs> Try to do 200. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'd be pretty wild. Yeah. Uh anyway, Believe it or not, this segment's about Golden Sun. I think it's I, it's probably worth addressing the elephant in the room with Golden Sun. So we did a big episode about the Game Boy Advance as our season four premiere in 2021. Yeah. It is to date our most popular episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we had a really fun time doing it and, and it encouraged us to do similar style premieres going yeah. forward. So like we now always open a season with a console-based episode. Yeah. And it's that been, one we did in secret. We prepped that one in secret also, yeah. which, was, which was, I think added to the mystique and the fun of it. Totally. And the Game Boy Advance, I, I think, has become like an all-timer console for the two of us. Yeah. I think it's a really special point in Nintendo's history where the handheld part of their business kind of met the same standard as the, co- the home consoles. Yeah. Um, and you can really see that with games like Golden Sun, where... Golden Sun wasn't just a port of a Super Nintendo game. It was a original, here's like a new IP, new fully fledged RPG on the Game Boy Advance. Yeah. Um, and I only learned recently, all this time. So Golden Sun was developed by Camelot. Camelot later went on to become like the, and still are, I, th- I believe. Yes. The people who make the Mario sports games. Mm-hmm. They also have a history working for sega on the shining series yeah shining force 2 and a few others i believe so they actually have a pretty significant rpg background yeah i just all this time thought like the people who made mario golf just randomly made golden sun Mm. too but like they were actually in some ways more primed to make an rpg than than to make a golf game and all worlds collide in mario golf advance tour which is like the best golf rpg ever made totally the thing about golden sun the reason i said elephant in the room was that we opened that game boy advance episode kind of just saying right off the bat like neither of us like golden sun that much sorry yeah, okay here yeah, are our top 10 the closest we've gotten to apologizing for our opinions yeah <laughs> but we just figured like you can't release a game boy advance episode without just whispering into the wind golden sun yeah right because it is like in some ways, it's just one of the games that comes to mind when you say Game Boy Advance. Yes. It is, 
I would say for many people, like their Final Fantasy VII, their Dragon Quest. I know a lot of people who got into RPGs through Golden Sun, right? Despite it being slightly more obscure than like either of those series, mm-hmm. um, slightly more obscure, very much more obscure um, than Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy. But yeah, like when we played it, we both admired it. But I, I just felt when I played it at that time, and I haven't gone back since. And I'm curious what you're about to say about it, but like. I really liked the atmosphere. I really liked the narrative. I really liked the sequel. I think the sequel to Golden Sun, not the weird DS dad adventure, but the, the direct, Lost Age. The Lost Age. That's where things really pop off narratively. But you kind of can't play it unless you played the first one because they're actually meant to be one game. So it's not necessarily a sequel as much as it's the rest of the game. It's a continuation. Yeah. yeah. It's it's um it's the closest you got in the Game Boy Advance era to episodic releases. I actually did enjoy the DS one to a degree, but I just feel like it was a little bit inward facing in terms of like every piece of dialogue was like the dads talking about how cool it was to be on an adventure together. I'm like, can you pass the baton to the youth? I I I mean I would push back on that because my my reading of that game and the reason I liked it so much was it was the dads who who were the characters you played as in the original series specifically like lamenting that maybe they did the wrong thing by going on that adventure sure and the world had gotten worse since they quote unquote saved it I like that it just it, they didn't like I feel like they took a little too long giving the spotlight to the new cast yeah and the game also is like super dialogue heavy and contains a bibliography that is constantly updating because they need you to understand all the lore of the world exactly which is in my for my money the least interesting thing about golden sun yeah is like the the specifics of the whys of the world um because the the i mean the original game is like very fable adjacent i think yeah in, in terms of the way it's told yeah so i i liked golden sun the first one enough like i think the combat is like fairly traditional but there's some interesting ideas i just i found the pacing of it to be really off and i just found that i never was super gripped by it maybe that's because we were playing so many games at that time and it was just harder to like keep our attention because we always had that pressure of playing other games and when you're like competing against minish cap or advanced wars or the first fire emblem that was released in the u.s like <laughs> yeah. why am i gonna do this weird puzzle about jumping on logs yeah but you know i just i've always kind of thought like maybe we gave that game not enough time um and i'm also comfortable with it just not being for me that's totally fair right but you unprompted have gone back to it and it seems like it's working way better for you so i'm curious how that's been going yeah yeah i i think i want to i want to continue this line of thought because sure. this is ac- this is actually where i wanted to get to and i don't mind starting with it i think it, i think it's an interesting place to start but i i've been kind of reflecting my time with golden sun a little yeah. bit like when when i was prepping because again we were doing that in secret so like you and i were texting each other about our experiences with golden sun both of us being like it's not really working for me for different reasons one of the things i brought up i streamed this game the other day a little bit just like kind of where i was at in the game um but one of the things i brought up while talking about it because somebody was just asking like why are you replaying golden sun kind of like you just were a lot of my thought was like thinking about the 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 exact experience I had playing it the first time was during like the depths, the winter of quarantine. Yeah. You know, like I just moved into this apartment, but my, my routine every morning to prep for that episode, because it was like, I needed to find time in the day to play Game Boy Advance stuff alongside everything else we were playing for the show. Cause the whole idea for us at least was we wanted to secretly be prepping for this, but make sure that the main show didn't take a hit at all. Um, which just meant like, how do you find more time in the day? essentially to play the whole Game Boy Advance library. So I would get up at like 6 a.m., I would make a pot of coffee, and I would play Game Boy Advance stuff for like two hours before work every day. And I, I 
just remember like in the depths of winter, like snowy, stuck inside for two reasons. One because weather, one because pandemic. Um, something about Golden Sun just like didn't grip me. Like I just remember playing it every morning for like two or three weeks for a couple hours each every morning and just being like when when do i understand why people like this game so much and yeah. when i texted you and was like how are you feeling about this knowing that you're at the time especially the bigger rpg fan of the two of us like how are you feeling about this and you being like i don't think it's working for me it was like oh thank god i can, <laughs> I can put this down like it really like that yeah. that to me kind of sealed the deal for me it was like okay i like you just said i felt very comfortable being like this isn't for me yeah and uh you know even then I think I was like pretty early on in my experience getting into RPGs because if you've listened to the show for a long time, season two for me was very much like I'm going to challenge myself to find RPGs that I like, which I really think culminated with with Fire Emblem Three Houses. Like, yeah, I, I think that that was kind of the the keystone for me. And once I played that, and then Dragon Quest Eleven, it was like, all right, all bets are off. Like everything is for me now. Yeah, which was really great. Um, but Golden Sun was early enough in that experience that I still didn't know what my preferences were. Like, I didn't know what I liked and disliked. And since then, I mean, it's been years since we did that, uh, thinking like that, that episode came out, what was that 2021 that yeah. episode came out, which means that we started prepping that technically in 2020. Yeah. Right. And I played Golden Sun in 2020, which just meant like, I mean, the amount of stuff I've played since we did that episode is gargantuan like the 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 amount of rpgs i have under my belt like especially doing console episodes for other consoles like the ds and the 3ds in particular both laden with rpgs yeah the amount of dragon quest games i have under my belt now you know like i i've just dumped hundreds and hundreds of hours of them and i think i have a much better understanding of what i like about the genre now than i did then and I mentioned this, I think, in the last episode or two episodes ago, but I've kind of been auditioning January games, playing an hour or two of a bunch just to see what I like and, and what's going to work for me. And I think one of the things that we did talk about on the Game Boy Advance episode, but I want to reiterate, I think one of the things that gives that console so much staying power and like worked at the time, but works almost even better now is, first of all, it's ease of emulation, right? Like, I, I think it's a pretty low powered console, which yeah. just means that like, any potato with an electrical current can run Game Boy Advance stuff, now, yeah. which rocks. That's great. But two, I mean, the, the, the restraint they had in terms of the control scheme, especially for Nintendo, I think is really prevalent, right? Because even the Super Nintendo has more buttons on that controller than the Game Boy Advance does, which is purportedly... That's my word of the day is purportedly. I don't know why. <laughs> I've become a scholar all of a sudden. <laughs> me thinks. Me, me thinks. Yeah. The Game Boy Advance had less buttons. Any tuberous crop can run this emulation. <laughs> oh my God. I loved that actually. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, think, I think the Game Boy Advance, you know, while it was supposed to be the, super, the handheld Super Nintendo, you know, they, they lost some of the buttons that were on the Super Nintendo. Which just means that, like, not only can any anything run Game Boy Advance games, but you don't even really need a lot of buttons on whatever it is you're playing on yeah. to make it work. So it's very comfortable to play no matter where you're playing it. And I think thinking about all of that, specifically having a, a handheld emulator, like, in my pocket pretty much always when I'm commuting back and forth, or, like, if I'm sitting in front of the TV and I don't want to be holding my Switch or my Steam Deck or whatever... Um, it's really nice to have a really simple control scheme that you don't even have to worry about in your hands. And I was like, 
maybe it is time to revisit Golden Sun in that way. Like now that I know what I like about RPGs, now that I know I want it to be really simple and I'm looking for RPGs to play right now. And a lot of the ones I've been testing out, like like a dragon, for example, I mean, that's a game I'm going to finish definitely, but like, yeah. like a dragon, very complex game. You know, yeah. that, that's a game that's got a lot going on. There's a lot of cutscenes, a lot of narrative. It's like a, almost a hundred hours long. Yeah. Um, there, there's just a lot of stuff going on there. And a lot of the other games I've been playing kind of similarly have a lot of depth to them. There's something to be said about the restraint of Golden Sun, whether that's intentional or not. I don't know. But there's something to be said about the fact that Golden Sun is like a very simple narrative with very simple, pretty basic combat with just a couple tweaks to keep things interesting. I think if you played Golden Sun before, you know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, one of the things that's interesting is uh, you unlock uh, or collect these uh, little like kind of dragon looking companions called the Jinni, which you can assign to each of the characters in your party. And all of those all of those little dragon guys come with, you know, latent abilities and different powers that they give to the different characters depending on who you've equipped them on. And that's how you can change like the classic RPG classes of the characters. So they all start kind of like basic. It's like you start with just two warriors and a mage, essentially. Um, but by equipping different Jinni to each of them, it will change their class and their abilities and and what kind of spells they can do and unlock, um, which I think is fascinating by itself. But you can also summon them in battle um, and just like having summons, which is like a pretty kind of high level Final Fantasy idea, be not only something that you unlock like pretty early on in the game, but allows for more customization on a like character to character basis and allows you to kind of express yourself through the game's mechanics in a really simple way was kind of appealing to me. Yeah. So I jumped back into the game. I gave it an hour or two. And I, I think the biggest issue with golden sun is its opening i think it's interesting because you and i have talked about it on the show before we specifically praised its opening at that point the opening event of the game i think is really well done the opening like prologue is such a slog yeah 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 so just just to explain that the the game opens with um you're playing as isaac uh and and his friend garrett and there's like a kind of cataclysmic event happening in the town where they grew up where there's like this horrible storm that's brewing. It's raining super hard. Isaac is woken up in the middle of the night. It's kind of like a nightmarish version of the Chrono Trigger opening where like instead of the mom coming up and being like, okay, honey, wake up. Time to go to the festival. It's like, wake the fuck up. Everything's about to get crushed by a volcanic eruption. Yeah. Um, And and you see this cutscene kind of play out where there's a bunch of mages at the top of the mountain trying to prevent a giant boulder from careening down the side of the mountain and wiping out all of the houses in the village um and you you are just trying your best to like survive and as as you know you've been tasked with just like making it to the town square to take shelter but as you're going through all the different pathways through the town boulders keep falling down and and blocking your path and it makes you kind of take this like really roundabout way through town and it feels hectic and nightmarish and like it is an actually emotionally it's a very effective yeah. effective moment to open the game with um, and at the risk of spoiling it, but it's Golden Sun came out in two thousands. Like, just play it. Uh, it's also the opening, like fifteen minutes. To be clear, like it's pretty early. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a moment where there's a kid who's like, kind of stuck on a rock in the river in the middle of town, and water's rushing down, and it's very clearly like whitewater rapids, and he's like holding on for dear life, and a bunch, and the family members are like screaming at Isaac, like, "Go find somebody who can help our son." 
we can't reach him from here, but like we know there's some people probably in the town square. If they band together, they could probably do it. You run to the town square, you get some people, you come back, and as soon as you get there, the mages can't hold onto the boulder anymore, and it falls down, destroys the dock that the family is sitting on, so they all die, and it also crashes into the kid who's holding onto the rock. He also dies, and it's a horrifying opening. Horrifying. Yeah. And the game then immediately cuts to three years later, where it's Isaac hanging out with the only remaining member of that family who is like essentially just left alone and like fending for herself. Um, and it begins this big adventure, which I, I won't get too into like the specifics of why the adventure starts, but it's like, it's a surprisingly impactful and horrifying way to open what a lot of people think of as their like nostalgia comfort game. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think that was the thing that really spoke to the two of us was like, this is a really bold thing to do. Yeah. This is a real subversion of the genre for something that feels like an entry point for a lot of people. They're doing a really good job, I, I think, coming at it from from a direction which will also appeal to people like you and I who have played a lot of these. And I definitely have a lot more appreciation for that opening now even than I did then. Because then I was just like interested in good stories and video games. But now having played a lot of RPGs specifically and having the 10-hour opening in the village before you set out or fight a monster, you know, it's it's interesting to have this event be like just terrible. It's like you don't even get the appeal of loving the opening town. Because it just gets rocked from the second you wake up. Yeah, exactly. Um, what follows then is what you're talking about, which is like the next, like, I don't know, three to five hours after that, where you're like collecting party members and stuff is definitely a slog. Like yeah. it is, it is so cutscene heavy. It is so dialogue heavy. None of the dialogue is very interesting. I think even yeah. and a lot of the characterization is a little bit rote. Um, but where the appeal lies for me, I think is, I, I, I think a lot of it is purposefully abstracted. A lot of it is like, I think told from the perspective of a fable, which almost does make the DS one more interesting in that way where it's like the, the kids now all grown up are reflecting on this thing. Like, I feel like I'm playing like now having played weirdly a lot more of the DS one than the original game boy advance ones. I'm like, Oh, I'm playing through this like kind of twisted memory that these old men have now, uh, which is kind of fun. But I think at, at the core of it, the, the real reason I'm playing so much of it and really enjoying it more this time is like I have just learned that of all the kinds of RPGs that exist out there, I really do like the very basic version of turn-based combat that just has like one interesting twist that makes you kind of care a little bit more than just like attack, 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 right. defend sometimes. Um, so I think like the Ginny system and the ability to swap classes on the fly and like learn all of those different classes and figure out which ones... I want to build my party around is really fun. But on top of that, I think just having like, honestly, a really basic RPG to play through right now is exactly what I personally need. Um, And I I think it really makes the case for revisiting games that we might have bounced off of at some point or another. Um, For you and I in particular, like, again, that was 2020 that we played Golden Sun. It's been a long time technically since then, you know, and, and I, I've enjoyed the experience of going back and trying it again and seeing if maybe now is the right time for this game yeah. for me. And it definitely is, which I think is rad. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, I, I famously had that with Dragon Quest Eleven. Yeah. Like I brought it up super early on in the show and was like, yeah, it's cool. I just don't really get it. Like, I yeah. don't get the hype. Then you played it and I just, I trust you, but I was like, I don't know what he sees in this. Like mm-hmm. I just don't fully understand why this is the one after all we've gone through together why is drag west 11 <laughs> speaking to him so strongly and then i went back and it totally clicked yeah and i think it helped that i had played a different version of it right like i had the like 
slightly cursed non S definitive edition for PS4 mm-hmm. that has the like Fisher Price keyboard soundtrack. Yeah, and it's, like it's rough. Um, there's just some little things that are different about the definitive edition that make it way more seamless yeah. to get into. But I also just think for me, I mean, I my background in RPGs is like the more complex ones. Yeah. The Final Fantasies and the Personas. And I mean, it's funny, when you were talking about the Jenny system, I was thinking of Final Fantasy VIII, which famously has the Guardian Force system, yep. which is not simple or easy to understand or even fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, FF8 fans. Yeah, I was I, just about to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do love that game in, in my own strange way, but like, that's the one that I go back to and I'm like, huh, I think I was just a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but to be clear like that was that was also part of our conversation that we had off the show about golden sun yeah like a lot of people played this when they were kids and they just really have like a pretty heavy nostalgia for it and yeah. i think there was i, I don't want to be too too callous about it but i do think there's a little bit of a writing off of golden sun from you and i being like i think if this is your first rpg and you're eight or nine years old like you're gonna have a great time with it of course um and i i was curious what the appeal would be for someone like our age you know and i, I didn't I didn't really get it until this time around, which I think is interesting. And one one of the other things I brought up on that stream, I think that's definitely worth noting, uh, especially if you haven't been listening to the show for a long time. I think if you have, you probably know this about us, but like Into the Aether, it's a low-key video game podcast. We bring games to the show when we like them. You know, that doesn't mean we can't be critical, but, you know, we only bring a game to the show if we have something nice to say about it and we think we can have a good and honest discussion about it. I think, you know, outside the show, you and I can be extremely critical of yeah. things. We we do have a tendency to be like deeply critical of stuff, and I think that's that's why we set the bar for the games we bring to the show so high is because I think like out, outside of recording this podcast, you and I have had conversations about games we played where we've been like that was fucking terrible, <laughs> you know, which is like that could be its own horrible reflective version of this podcast that I I don't want to make because I actually think it would make like the 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 general video game community no. even worse than it already is, but. That having been said, I do I do think there was a little piece of my brain when we first played Golden Sun that was like almost I, I think it's like that that curve of how much you know about the world, right? There's that that version where like the more ignorant you are of the world, the more confident you are that you understand all of it. And I was so early in my RPG experience that I was like, I know everything and I know this game is not good. Yeah. And now I'm like on the other end where it's like shit, man. That Jenny system. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you had that experience with it this time around. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think like even though we can be critical on and off the show, I do think you and I make an active effort to meet a game where it's at and yes. to find the fun in it. You know, so I think like we never go into a game being like, like I love to be wrong. You know, I, I inherit a bit of my my dad is not a, a, a callous judge of art, but whenever he has complimented a film or any piece of media, he begins with like, I thought it was going to be stupid and, and <laughs> rote and cliche and yeah. just a waste of time and, you know, dumbed down for the audience. But it was actually amazing. And once I just asked him, I was like, have you ever been right when you wrote something off yeah. before watching it? And he said, no, <laughs> like very confidently. Um, and the thing about my dad, though, is he, d- he does give everything a chance. Yeah. You know, and I think that like, I, especially when I was younger, I also could easily write things off. I think, especially when you're like in your early 20s, if I heard kind of like, you know, conversations about a game before I had played it, I would be much more likely to just sort of like 
absorb that opinion before I even engaged in it. Yeah. And I make an active effort to not do that for our show. Mm. I think it's very easy. Like, you know, if there are people I trust that have said something about a game, I'll listen to them. Yeah. But like, I didn't play Uncharted when it was coming out because I just heard people around me not liking it. Mm. And I missed out on so much because I love those games now. Yeah. You know, so I think like I really like being surprised by what ends up clicking with me. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the joys of doing this show is discovering that our tastes are beyond what we already know about ourselves. Totally. Yeah, we can discover more aspects to ourselves than just like I'm the RPG guy or I'm the roguelike <laughs> guy, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think having, having the platform to be able to like revisit, you know, even, even our own biases against a certain piece of media, like golden sun is a game I had totally written off after that experience, but thinking like, Maybe I will give that another shot. Why not? You know, because yeah. I frequently find that when you and I are revisiting games for the show outside of Dragon Quest being, I think, a great example, Dragon Quest Eleven being a great example for you. It usually is like I liked this, but it wasn't the right time for me to be playing it. And now I'm revisiting it. And here's my section on it. Right. Yeah. As like a segment for the show. But I think infrequently are we like, I didn't like this game and I'm going to try it again and see if now is the right time. And it's it's fun to have that experience and come out the other end being like, I do have a totally new appreciation for this. And I can't wait to see it through and like bring it to the show and talk about it a little bit more in depth when I've made it to like either the end of Golden Sun or even the end of The Lost Age. Absolutely. Um, and just talk about it as like a more holistic work um, and just be one of those freaks yelling at Nintendo all the time. <laughs> bring back Golden Sun. You know what's wild, Stephen? The thing what? that I discovered over the course of playing this game so far is i for, i had forgotten that they announced it for nintendo switch online for game boy advance yeah so they they have the game boy advance library for those of you who are subscribed to nintendo switch online plus expansion pack you can play some game boy advance stuff they announced a bunch of games the only one they still haven't released is golden sun it's been 10 months <laughs> Since they announced Golden Sun was coming to the Nintendo Switch and they haven't released it yet. What do you think that means? Do you do you suspect conspiracy or is it just like I mean they they announced a few more games for one of the systems during the game awards, not on the game awards. <laughs> I forgot it was a tweet. They tweeted during the game awards like uh you know, Joe and Mac on <laughs> Nintendo Online. And we, like that's that's the priority of, yeah. for that for that thing. Yeah. They'll announce the system like if they if they add GameCube, for example, mm-hmm. that will be announced. But yeah. when, if, or how the games are being put on there doesn't matter. Yeah, I will say. I mean, at this point, there are some really good collections for Super Nintendo and Genesis. Yeah, um, and e- the Game Boy Advance one is small, but they got really good hits on there. Small but mighty. Super Saga, uh, Superstar Saga, Mario and Luigi. Did not expect that to be on there, but I'm glad it is. Yeah, that game rocks. Uh, the first U.S. released Fire Emblem, Blazing Blade. Excellent game. Um, and Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland. Yeah. Amazing. But Is that on there? <laughs> Actually, don't, I don't know if that's true. I know Amazing Mirror is on there. I'll check it. You keep talking. But anyway, like, yeah, I, I want, I mean, because Golden Sun is also one of those Mother 3 games where, like, whenever Nintendo announces something, right. there's some really angry guy in the comments like, what about Golden Sun? You know, yeah, that's why I think we opened our Game Boy Advance episode with like, sorry, we didn't like Golden Sun because we just knew that that guy was probably listening to our show. Yes. And waiting for Golden Sun. I think it's also notable that they haven't they haven't even announced that Golden Sun The Lost Age is getting added. And that is for okay. first of all, Herbie Nightmare and Dreamland is not on there. I don't know where I got that from. Amazing Mirror is they do have Minish Cap, though, which is worth it. Minish Cap is wonderful. Um, 
they didn't announce the lost age, which as we said at the top of this segment is the end of that story. Like Gold, Golden Sun by itself is not is not a story that you're going to feel satisfied with when it's over. Like yeah. that's, that's the thing everyone says about is like you got to play the lost age. Not only is it better than Golden Sun, but it is just the rest of the story. It's weird to only announce the first one and then just never release. I'm very curious what's going on with that. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's maybe a remaster. Could you, you imagine? Know? I don't think it's I would, unthinkable. I would be a little mad. If there was a remaster? If I, if I finished playing the originals and, and then they released the remaster <laughs> in like February? Yeah. We'll see. I, I would mean, be a little mad. There's a lot of questions. I mean, there's always question marks <laughs> by Nintendo, but especially right now with like, new hardware on the horizon is this online going to even be on the new console (laughs) that's not even confirmed you know (laughs) it's it's up in the air it might just be a tweet during summer games fest like it's all gone (laughs) oops oops someone got rid of it we deleted the sega genesis library (laughs) whoops i hope you weren't playing fantasy star 4 we lost the roms and there's no way to download them as (laughs) as everyone knows there's no way to download Sega Genesis games. There's no way to download them. There's, there's not a thriving industry of handhelds <laughs> where you can play all this stuff also. For, for less than the price for of less- one month of <laughs> Nintendo Switch Online. Good lord. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be visited Golden Sun. And it makes me want to go back to Advanced Tour. That game ruled. Yo. I, I love that game. That game rocked. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting that Camelot specifically created like the two games that i think are just these like flags in the ground for people on the internet to just like point at yeah you know like anytime any sports rpg comes out everyone's pointing at mario golf it's also so fitting i'm sure this has been said by millions of people and maybe even us already (laughs) but it is so fitting that they made waluigi they're like the the god of the scorned you yeah. know, it's just like all these games that rightfully, all these games and characters that rightfully deserve more. Yeah. That will never get it. That will never, ever get it. There's, <laughs> it's so funny how much Waluigi is like present spiritually in Golden Sun also. Yeah. Just like the, the amount of times that people will ask Isaac a yes or no question that like, it's amazing they're giving players the opportunity to say no to. It's like, do you want to save this person who's about to die? And Isaac can like cheekily be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Big Waluigi energy. Yeah, absolutely. I um, <laughs> kind of random aside, but uh, this is actually related to a conversation that um, Russ and our friend uh, Chris Plant on the Besties had recently. I was actually on that. Uh, oh yeah, ago. we should shout that out. Yeah, I um, Chris texted me a while ago, like, hey, like, so he and Russ have their show within a show called the Resties, um, and they've been piecing together this list of twenty five. I believe it's twenty five games that like are sort of a crash course of video games between like the 80s and the present yeah um and they've basically gone through kind of like their own version of games of the decade but like much wider time frame yeah it's it's like a it's like a legitimately academic take on games games (laughs) of all time in a way plant makes it very clear he's like these are not the best these are not even our favorite but these are what we think are the most important yes games so i think is is a really interesting lens to like organize that list of games under. yeah i think it's a great experiment um so he texted me uh randomly a few months ago like hey we're we haven't really played any rpgs in the 90s do you want to come on yeah and i was like i mentioned this on that episode but i'm like all plant has done for me regarding rpgs is taunt me <laughs> for my for my love for final <laughs> fantasy he's texting me late at night saying like 
it's funny how ff16 is the only fun one yeah and like uh i think i'm he said like roblox is better than nintendo on our show like i love he's an incredible friend and he has truly helped our show so much mm-hmm. but he loves making me a little angry yeah uh, that's kind of his impish energy that's uh, right it's, just like dom it's his minesweeper it's his- <laughs> but i was really really i mean of anyone he could reach out to like i was very honored to be asked and we had a really fun conversation he actually made it into an any percent he oh was, right he was like i'll give you 10 minutes to like give me five games. a crash course of the 90s um, yeah but on that episode uh while they're kind of finalizing that list uh they basically brought up i think one of the games they cut adding to the scorned nature of camelot was mario golf advanced tour brutal um and but they were like why isn't this more popular like why isn't there a whole subgenre of indie games that are trying to be golf rpgs yeah, the big one was golf story yeah, which golf I think, story and sports story which really yeah. i mean golf story much more successful like yes one of the earliest games on switch i think a lot of people latched onto. i mean one it was a great game but also it was like the only other one kind of going <laughs> after that version of, of a golf rpg because even camelot's most recent mario golf games are not really what people are asking for when yeah. they want a mario golf game there's always that like weird space in the indie scene of like big companies stop making a game like this now's your chance yeah which also is like an interesting variation on our conversations about inspiration and where the line is between yeah copying and stuff but i think if it's like if there are no longer games being made like that my tolerance for imitation is i think much lower yeah you know like i think started if stardew valley came out and harvest moon was still crushing it i'd be like come on yeah but the fact that stardew valley was like no we're actually just gonna like pick up the batons it's been abandoned yeah you know i think that that actually makes a little bit more sense in my opinion i totally agree yeah like for example if FromSoft was like no more souls like yeah <laughs> we're gonna make games where you design kitchens i would be unabashedly <laughs> lies of p pills yeah i would just be like lies yes. of pills yeah. i would be lies of pill like pinocchio sign me up i'm down <laughs> um but uh i i think there is a huge play and, and if 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 i'm missing like a whole subgenre that already exists please let me know yeah i would love more sports rpgs but i i think there is a place for like just look at advanced tour and make a new one because that game rocks and the fact that mario is like not not christ-like in that game <laughs> is forever disturbing and brilliant See, I, I just I think I would love to see more of that, but I, I I just really deeply admire Camelot, and you're inspiring me now to go back to Golden Sun and give it a bit more time. Man, I I really would recommend it. Yeah, I mean, whether you're waiting until it drops on Switch Online or if you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it upon myself to do it. Like, I know you have the Miu Mini. Yeah, I do. You could play it on that using like the the fast forward function to just like whip through some of those cutscenes. <laughs> honestly for real steven has given me so much by way of just like I, I i think um excusing a lot of the issues i had with the early hours of the game pretty quickly which is really nice also just like save states yeah really help a lot that helps advanced tour as well because although i as much as i'm open to coming around in golden sun I still think Advanced Tour is their best RPG. Like, not even kidding. That sounds like a bit, and I'm actually willing to die on this hill. I, I, I could see myself feeling the same way by the time I'm done with Golden Sun also. Yeah. I've re- I, I mean, 
That game is amazing. That was in your top 10. It was. Advanced Story. That yeah. game is amazing. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, we, we've talked about this before and I've definitely brought it up, but every time we do one of these kinds of episodes, there's always like a sports game or some kind of arcade game that becomes the one I just like go back to. Like Virtua Tennis. Like Virtua Tennis yeah. for the Dreamcast and on the DS it was Mario Kart DS. Like there's there's always like the kind of arcade sports thing that I find much easier to pick up than like diving into a new game for yeah. the episode. Um, and Advanced Story was that one. I loved it. This is making me really excited. So our next season premiere, worth noting, is going to be the Nintendo GameCube. Yeah. And GameCube, I think, is weirdly the connective tissue between Game Boy Advance and Dreamcast because it was coming out around the same, I mean, the same time as Game Boy Advance, Mm -hmm. but was kind of the opposite. It was a far more advanced, far more complex, beautifully ambitious, messy system that is also following the, the wake of excuse me it's following the demise of the dreamcast mm-hmm. and i i think i mentioned on the dreamcast episode that it, it does feel like the ps2 the gamecube and the xbox were all like the three goddesses of hyrule that split off from the ashes of of the dreamcast yeah it's like the titans that birthed the gods you know mm-hmm. um i'm just very excited to like really understand a, a fuller picture of that specific piece of game history yeah because like the Game Boy Advance, as we said, is like, okay, this is Nintendo's handhelds being as good as the home console. And from what I know of the GameCube now, which is a decent amount, I mean, I grew up with it, we both did, uh, it felt like one of the more experimental home consoles. Mm. I mean, just the fact that the launch title was Luigi's Mansion, the Nintendo version of horror, uh, kind of gives you this perfect like setting for the rest of the console yeah i do it's fun you and i have kind of inadvertently been dipping in and out of some gamecube stuff just kind of like incidentally over yeah. the past couple of weeks also just kind of like mentally preparing like what did you say you're playing recently that was a path GameCube of game? radiance you're playing path of radiance i've been playing baton kaidos which oh, just got ported yeah. to switch recently which i haven't brought to the show yet xeno adjacent dude there is so much to say about that game <laughs> you're when you play that Stephen. I think you might have to like call out of work the next day. <laughs> not to not just to be clear, not to play more of it, just to cope with what's going on. You you haven't said this on the show, but every now and then when you think I'm gonna have that response to a piece of media, you tell me you're gonna shit. <laughs> and I've started telling that to other friends of mine. They all go like, "Excuse me." <laughs> <laughs> I think but, I think that's what uh, having your most formative years uh, exist alongside Tumblr will do <laughs> i feel like when when my brain fully formed was also when tumblr.com existed which really that'll warp your perception of yeah. everything baby yeah i feel like mine was street sharks you know <laughs> not even you didn't even get tmnt no i just got i got i know mine was extreme dinosaurs the yeah. rip the echo of the echo of yeah the echo. we're talking about di- very different ages here but i i sure did love street sharks also yeah i mean i'm t- I'm two years older but that in the 90s might as well be 10 years given the yeah. marketing shifts <laughs> um man i'm excited about gamecube stuff me too i'm really excited about gamecube stuff yeah i uh there's also i'm curious if we'll be able to do this at all there are a number of games that kind of utilized a connection between GameCube and Game Boy Advance. Um, I will be experiencing that. Yeah. We also get an excuse to play Sonic Adventure 2 again, <laughs> but the slightly better one. The good one. Yeah. yeah the good one. <laughs> yeah. Which is tragic. That is one of the only, I think, I'm going to, we're in my house. I can literally do this right now. We're sitting next to it. I think that's one of the games I own for GameCube. Yes. Hell is. yeah. 
It sure is. I got Tales of Symphonia here. Oh, nice. I got Madagascar. <laughs> That's going to make it. <laughs> oh, boy. Am you I know excited. what else has a glow up on the GameCube? What? Skies of Arcadia. Oh, yeah. Skies of Arcadia Legends. It's a... Uh, Dude, Simpsons Hit and Run. I'm, Soul Calibur 2. Soul Calibur 2. There's a lot of Dreamcast, like, round two on the GameCube. Yeah. The interesting thing for me with the GameCube, I don't know if I said this, and I definitely will say this again, so sorry in advance when we record that episode, but the GameCube for me, I did not grow up with the GameCube. I did grow up with the Wii, though, and because the Wii was backwards compatible compatible. with the GameCube, and at that, that was, that was a beautiful era where if a game console was done, their games got cheaper. Yeah. (laughs) And they kept making them. Like, PS2, I think, ceased production in, like, 2006. Mm -hmm. There was still, like, I remember, like, Stuff like Marvel Ultimate Alliance, when that came out, that was one of my first Wii games. That was also released for PS2. Mm-hmm. Was it good on there? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. it was good on the Wii. I just mean, like, you could go into a GameStop and you could buy a GameCube game and it would be cheaper than when it came out instead of more expensive. Yeah. They, they really stopped selling retro stuff at a certain point. Like, yeah. even right now, you, there's like maybe a back shelf that has some 360 stuff, but that's not a guarantee anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. The first time I played Dragon's Dogma before the show, I, I feel like I was secretly knowledgeable of the show about to start happening even before you reached out. Because that's when I was finishing Persona games. And I also just unprompted got Dragon's Dogma on, on 360 for like $2. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was like, interesting. <laughs> off, off the show, there's been this interesting thing that you've been doing where you've been talking about like the show's existence as if you're Dr. Manhattan and you can perceive all of time at once. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. We were talking a little bit about a job that I got fired from, and you were like, as much as I hate the man who fired you, I should thank him, because if it wasn't for that, the show would have existed. You, you were like, I wish I could go back in time and thank him for firing you. <laughs> so I was like, that's like a really gracious way of saying that, I think. You're, you're, you're being very nice to that That's man. my Aquarius moon. Yeah. I feel like that gives me my weirdness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Libra Rising's the theater kid. Aries Sun's the screaming. Yeah. And Aquarius Moon is the like weird cosmic advice. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. I'm very interested to see what Aquarius is like in Astral Ascent. Have you met them yet? I don't think so. I know what you're thinking. Air sign. Air sign. Despite the aqua prefix. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for you to meet Gemini. Yeah. Yeah. That, that will feel weirdly personal, Gem- I think, fighting Gemini. Gemini's tough. Yeah. I imagine Aries won't be like, no, I'm fine. I don't like combat. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. Anyway. You may pass. Why don't we wrap up? I feel like uh, I, I, I feel like we just gassed ourselves up for GameCube, which is exciting. Yeah. We're probably going to have to start preparing for that relatively soon. Yeah. I mean, maybe like, maybe like tonight. Maybe, yeah. There's all, I feel like we've done enough of them now where I feel like there's always that like it's too early to start preparing in earnest, but we can like kind of taste a few mm-hmm. having to move bouche, as you would say. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll probably start like fully like I got my spreadsheets open, baby, in yeah. like March. I can't April. believe neither of us brought this up, but we both have been playing Twilight Princess also. Yeah. Like that bonus is still coming. And that sure is a GameCube game. Yeah. I, it is weirdly the bridge. I wonder if they'll do that again with with. No, they won't. Trees of Kingdom just came out. I was like, if there's going to be another bridge between consoles. Mm. Um, But Breath of the Wild was that was on the Wii U and the Switch. Yeah. And then before that, no, Skyward Sword is just the Wii. It happened twice. It happened twice. It could happen again. You ever again. say something happened a lot and then you actually recall the events and yeah. realize you were wrong in real time? Two times doesn't make a trend. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that's the subline for Hilda and Raphael's uh, tax <laughs> service. <laughs> that's how Hilda tries to get away with tax fraud. Yeah, exactly. She's oh, like, man. as long as I don't do it three times, I'll get away with it. The, I feel like the fandom for Three Houses is like beautiful and still very active. Yeah, it is. And I, I see like bizarre tier lists pop up every now and then. And one of them was just like, who shoplifts? And like, why? <laughs> uh, and like, Hilda was like, rich, but lifts anyway. Yeah. Uh, which is perfect. Yeah. Oh my God. It's uh, Jeremy Strong in succession. Yeah. <laughs> Hilda's the eldest boy. On that note, why don't we wrap up? <laughs> I kind of don't want to now. Yeah, I'm having fun. Um, I, w- <laughs> I will say... One thing, I don't think we've, we don't talk about it a lot, but like, you know, we're on a bunch of social media accounts. One of them is Tumblr. We do have a Tumblr into the cast.tumblr.online. And I, I do like program the queue for that Tumblr. And it's really, really hard. Like, I'm always like looking for games that we're talking about, like finding like posts that seem interesting to yeah. reblog and stuff like that. You do a it's great job with it. So thank you. It's so hard to not always just be reblogging fire emblem three houses stuff yeah like every time i go to tumblr i'm like it's the surest thing in the world if i don't know what game to search for three houses has my back there's so many like really high quality like fan comics and like it's amazing it's like one of the coolest fandoms i usually like try to avoid fandoms yeah and i'm sure there are weird corners of it yeah there's always gonna overall it's like really fun and inviting and creative yeah awesome yeah i think I, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to say too much and put real people I know on blast, but I do think there's a big delineation between Fire Emblem Three Houses fans and Fire Emblem fans. Yeah, and yeah. I I will always hey invite me to the Fire Emblem Three Houses party. I'll be there. Absolutely, same. I will align myself with that fandom, even though I do love Path of Radiance. I this was really, I like other Fire Emblem games. Yeah. I am I I am a fan of Fire Emblem, but yeah. I am a fan capital F of Three Houses. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I was going to share a college anecdote, but you should probably just cut it out. <laughs> hey, uh, Godi, next week, GameCube in probably June or July. Uh, very excited. Yeah, this is a very Dr. Manhattan unstuck in time episode. I feel yeah. like we're kind of like on a weird DBZ planet that's just your apartment. You want to talk about Octopath Traveler 1? <laughs> it's pretty good. Whoa. I'm not that good at podcasting yet. What was your favorite thing announced yeah. at E3 2018? I really liked uh, Skull of Bones because I was like, this is going to happen again at the Game Awards <laughs> in five years. Can you believe that there is an open beta for that game available right now? I, I, if the, if a they, beta. If Summer Games Fest has a Beyond Good and Evil 2 trailer, we've gone full circle. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what are you looking up? Uh... Okay, E3 2018. Oh, you're actually doing it. Okay. I just, I just want this. This is usually what an any percent prompt would be like. Yeah, what you know. Yeah, this, yeah. Would, this is a better example than why do you use Skype? <laughs> Re- recapping E3 2018. Um, some stuff that was announced in there that I just think you'd be interested in. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Wow, I rem- I remember that was actually one that we talked about being mm-hmm. excited for. Obviously, Anthem. Anthem. Oof. Halo Infinite Tunic Tunic was in 2018 yeah it was wow. an, I mean they they were showing it off it didn't even have a date in 2018 but they were showing it off damn Forza Horizon 4 who knew who that knew? that's Forza is like the the perfect example of us discovering things we what's up <laughs>
During the Bethesda press conference, they announced Starfield and the Elder Scrolls 6. I remember the Elder Scrolls 6 just like a big like landscape. Yes. And the name. Which like to be clear, if you're announcing Elder Scrolls 6 is in development, that's the way to do it. But we've heard nothing since, right? No. No, just that it's in production now. Yeah. It was in pre-production until Starfield came out and now it's like really in production. Uh, we don't really need to keep this bit going, but I, I, it was fun to look back at uh, 2018 and see what happened in our technically, I guess, first episode. I gotta say, I oh do God. miss... Super Smash Brothers Ultimate was announced at that E3. Damn. I do miss... And Three Houses. I remember that. Perfect. I said I was most excited for that, and boy, was I onto something. That was the shadow drop for Hollow Knight on Switch also. Yeah. I miss I miss doing E3 episodes. Like I do really like that we pivoted to doing the console ones. Yeah. And like I think E three had its own share of problems, obviously. Yeah. But I I do think like, you know, Summer Games Fest I think has filled the spot fairly well. I actually think I enjoy Summer Games Fest more than the Game Awards just because like same the veneer is off. It is just a big ad. Yeah. You know. Um. But I I do miss that. I, I wonder if there's as time continues, like if there's going to be a new event or more events like that rather than just defaulting to to jeff's events yeah i think one of those things that i'm always thinking about is like you you are a company not the size of xbox and you have you have a game you want to announce does it behoove you to announce it the same week as xbox and nintendo and playstation are announcing their stuff right you know like probably not although there are more eyes on that week than ever before there's a greater chance of course of getting lost in the shuffle totally you know which uh it's it's a blessing and a curse also speaking of curses E3 officially dead. They announced that they're done forever as of last week. Uh, rip. Rip E3. But, you know, as this episode began with your gecko pet shedding its skin, uh, sometimes things end for another to begin. Absolutely. So we'll see, we'll see how history continues to unfold. Yeah. As, uh, announcing Aether 3. <laughs> Steven malted during the recording of this in person, which yeah. is kind of cool. We're going to do it. We're, we're just going to host it in my apartment in Brooklyn. Phil Spencer, call me up. Doug Bowser, where are you at? I don't even know who's running Sony anymore. <laughs> I think that guy stepped down. What's his name? Jim Ryan. He's gone. Yeah. Shout out to the new guy. Call me up. Call me. Come hang out in my living room. We'll play GameCube together. We're going to organize a, our own kind of game event, but it's just three houses. <laughs> I would love that. E three houses. Three house party. Yeah. You love know? that. Okay. Exactly. Maybe, yeah, now it's time. We've, we've you overst- always wait for me to tell like a B minus joke to wrap up. You're like, okay, now now it's time. See, no, see, my last joke was like a it was like a C minus, and you at least leveled it up a little bit. <laughs> but I gotta recognize when the gas is gone. We gotta pull over into an Exxon. Do you ever have a social interaction where you're like, oof, that was a C level support? Yes, that was just a misunderstanding. Most with, of them with like some sexual tension, and it's always my fault. No, never mind. <laughs> anyway hello thank you for listening into the cast and online is our website that has links to our patreon places to listen to the show if you want to help the show grow you can recommend it to a friend uh we pretty much depend on word of mouth for advertising we don't do anything else it's how we've grown um you can also rate and review us on spotify and apple podcasts we have our patreon of course which we mentioned any percent is our weekly show for patrons of five dollars or more we also just released the Boy and the Heron conversation, which was really fun. It was kind of an impromptu decision. Uh, we have big Patreon plans that we announce in the Game of the Year episode. 
So keep an eye for that. And yeah, uh, and of course, our Twilight Princess bonus will be coming out in January. Uh, and we actually also, on the Game of the Year episode, announce our plans for the next four bonuses in the first like quarter of the year. Uh, so we're really excited to finally share that. I'm almost tempted to share it here too, but I will be patient. Don't do it. I will wait for the past to become the present in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, my skin is blue. My pupils are gone. I see all of time at once. I saw the Blue Man Group for the first time, and it was really <laughs> different from what's been advertised. <laughs> it was one guy sitting down singing that. <laughs> He brought out his friend wearing a mask that looked like a Rorschach test and he <laughs> blew him up in front of everybody. The Watchmen group. Everybody sitting in the front had to wear ponchos. <laughs> yeah, like, are they going to splash on us? What oh, is this? Oh my God, I'm in the Rorschach's gut splat zone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening. We love you. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Talk to you soon. Sorry to Alan Moore. <laughs> Sorry, Alan. <laughs> I know you know spells in real life. When I wrote Watchmen, I assumed that eventually it would be on stage and you would be in the front and wear, you know, smock apron. <laughs> so when Rorschach's guts got all over the crowd, it would feel real, you know. I do want to say we have more. There are other announcements that we haven't even alluded to in that Goatee episode. And with that, I think it's worth signing off. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet, Brendan Bigley. I don't think we've done that in a really we long haven't. time. We haven't. I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger Art. Where's the, uh, just out of curiosity, where's the place that you're posting the most right I'm now? still figuring it out. I feel like it's become threads. Yeah. I just think, like, Blue Sky is great, but it kind of feels like doing improv in a basement sometimes <laughs> where it's like, I know I killed it if I get eight likes. Yeah. Uh, threads just feels like that's where most people are. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm pretty offline these days but like i'll share like uh drawings and stuff about the show on on blue sky and tumblr and threads but threads is where i'm most likely just to share like a random musing yeah you know yeah same here um i'm like actually off twitter for good right now in fact i'm pretty close to deleting it for good yeah it's probably the move yeah so that's where you can find me yeah I'm, i'm leaving mine up just so people can see where to find me elsewhere you know yeah exactly that's the thing i've been there anyway thank you so much i think this is kind of closing out the year uh, yeah for us at least uh yeah. so shout out to 2023 we'll see you next time see it in the past my friend bye-bye bye-bye Garbage. Oh.